It is a strange day today. I swear, I don't, I don't know what is happening. Seems like no matter how much you prepare, there's always some some things that kind of get thrown at you that you least expect. Um, so I'm not sure if you're still hearing ground noise uh, in the studio there, but we are getting it together slowly but surely. Uh, welcome. Uh, back to the Onyx Report, people. Dr. T. Hassan Johnson, as y'all know, at this point, um, we're going to have a good one for you. We got a lot to cover, uh, a lot of information to go through. So, um, but uh, as y'all know, I like to do uh, before we jump in and get started, um, I like to thank my supporters, my subscribers, particularly those on YouTube and Patreon, uh, and uh, and really want to uh, shout you guys out and appreciate you. So uh, in honor of that, uh, let us go ahead and do that. Hmm, interesting. They have disappeared. <laughs> this is a trip, I swear. Ah, here we go. All right, we'll do it this way. All right. So special thanks to my subscribers uh, yet again. If you'd like to become one, it's very easy to do. All you need to do is uh, appreciate that Sage's Apprentice. Uh, all you need to do is go ahead and head to um, YouTube. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and head to YouTube. And from there, uh, I will tell you how. Um, but at the end of the day, the easiest way to go about it is to click the join button. Uh, right there uh, under the video at YouTube. You subscribe at the same time, hit the bell so you can be alerted whenever I um, shoot up some videos uh, and you can go ahead and subscribe. And subscribing on YouTube, there are multiple levels that come with various perks. They start at the gold level and then go all the way to Black Opal. So you can go ahead and choose any of those or you can go to Patreon and you can either subscribe to um, support the show along those lines or you can su subscribe specifically to the Institute for Black Male Studies and support along those lines as well. So as I said, welcome to the Onyx Report where uh, we, um, as black male justice advocates, uplift black men and boys using critical analysis, right? So we are here in the building. We got a lot to go through and I think some things you'll find interesting. Uh, shout out to Damon, Malika, I hope you're well. Prophet of Thought, what's going on? Uh, Miss Kalila, good to see you as usual. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, June and Zone, it's me, C. How you doing? Mike Ship, what's going on? Uh, so we're getting it in. And uh gonna have a lot today. We got a special guest we're gonna bring in a little bit later, whom uh you, you should all be familiar with. Um so absolutely one of my favorite people uh to hear. 
so we'll get to that in due time. Uh, as you guys know, I prefer to start things uh, with a particular ear to black male accomplishment. And what I mean by that is here in the Onyx Report, we celebrate black men. Uh, we celebrate their accomplishments. We cel uh, celebrate uh, when they're acknowledged and we celebrate when they don't. We do the acknowledging if we have to, because as we know, uh, black males tend to be overlooked in a lot of different ways. So uh, to start that out, we can go ahead and look at our first report for the Sacred Black Masculine series, which is when we acknowledge black men who've done something uh, uh, reflective of their humanity. But again, it's a humanity that many don't believe we seem to possess. Uh, but nevertheless, this is a piece um, that you can find in the, what is this, uh, lawenforcementtoday.com in Florida. Uh, and this, uh, this is entitled Florida Sanitation Worker Saves Seven-Year-Old Boy from Trash Can. Uh, in the title, the boy says, I thought I was going to be a mashed potato. So basically uh, what occurred is this young little boy was playing and hiding in one of the trash cans and the sanitation worker who drove up in the truck and was picking up the trash happened to be paying close attention uh, to the cans as they were being dumped into the truck. And he saw the little boy fall in and he jumped in and decided to rescue this boy before uh, he had gotten to, uh, you know, the blades that uh, kind of tear up the trash. So he saved this little boy's life. Uh, this goes out to uh, <clears throat> Waldo Fidel, who works at Waste Connections of Florida, operations in Tampa, um, and was quick on his feet and saved one Elias Cazada, um, who, as I said, was hiding in the trash can. So shout out to this brother. Um, but, you know, I want to be clear. This is it's, I'm not suggesting this because black men don't do it. I, I think these things happen every day. It's just not all we don't always get an opportunity to really see that it's happening. So, you know, to that end, I want to make sure we acknowledge uh, those brothers who are doing what we know brothers do. OK. So let me see here. Uh, moving ahead. All right. Uh, some of you may know if you don't uh, just to be. Uh, clear one Reverend Frederick K.C. Price. Uh, this uh, article in dailynews.com is entitled Prosperity Gospel Pastor Who Builds LA Faith Dome Dies from COVID 19 at 89 years old. Right? Price was a longtime pastor of the Crenshaw Christian Center, which he founded in 1973 and grew into a mega church that claimed 28,000 members. The church is perhaps best known for the Faith Dome which opened in 1989 and seats 10,145 worshipers, making it the largest house of worship in the country at the time. According to the LA Times, Apostle Price and his wife Betty were married for 67 years and were partners in ministry, right? So, um, you know, people are, I mean, this is really serious and a lot of us are downplaying it, uh, but every day I'm seeing reports about uh, how many folks are, are grappling with this not just people I'm reading about, people I know. Um, uh, what's up, Aquateki? What's up, Muwata? All right, good to see you guys. Urban, Enigma, All right? High Scholar, what's going on? Lawrence, Dr. Rasheed, good to see you. Uh, Damon, always good to have you, brother. All right, so uh, peace to the uh, Price family, All right? Okay, um, next up. 
This uh, is coming out of a piece at ABC News 4. It's entitled, uh, SC Man Wins Custody of His Daughter After She Was Adopted Without His Permission. Right? Christopher Emanuel's dreams of being a dad turned into a nightmare after his girlfriend placed their newborn daughter up for adoption without telling him. Right? I was lost. Um, let me see. Uh, okay. Uh, I was lost, man. I was hurt. I was confused because I wanted to ensure that I could be there for my child, says Emmanuel. Christopher fought back, uh, turning to the court system in Aiken County, where Skylar was born. Uh, this was my opportunity to prove uh, that I was deprived of that. How do I put this? Of that, my constitution and state rights were violated. Um, I don't like the way they wrote this, but anyway, under South Carolina law, unwed fathers can sign up on the uh, Responsible Fatherhood Registry. It's an online database through DSS that lets the state know that you fathered a child, right? Pat Littlejohn is the president of the Advocacy, Advocacy Group, South Carolina Center for Fathers and Families. Um, uh, he says, uh, or Pat says, I don't know if it's he, before rights are terminated to allow an adoption to occur, attorneys as well as Department of Social Services will check this registry. And if his name is on there, he must be notified. Uh, president of South Carolina for Fathers and Family States, uh, Christopher registered, adding the name of Schuyler's mother, making it mandatory that he would be notified if she put the child up for adoption. And that's actually what she did. Court documents show Christopher added his name to the registry on February 4th, 2014. However, the adopted parents filed a motion uh, on February 19th to adopt Schuyler. Christopher was not added on the document um, as the biological father, even though he was listed as such on the registry, but under South Carolina law, someone living in another state can adopt a baby born here only under unusual uh, circumstances. So under the South Carolina Children's Code, a biracial child like Skyler fell under that category. Therefore, the adoption in part was able to go forward. In response to the fight, Emmanuel started the Sky is the Limit Foundation where he travels across the nation educating fathers on their parental rights. So he did get his daughter back flew the daughter from San Diego back to South Carolina and is now, to my knowledge, raising her. So shout out to him. And really, I post this piece not only to acknowledge him, but to tip my hat to the fathers who are handling business, but also reminding fathers in general to be on your P's and Q's. Much of the time, the law does not tend to lean in your favor. So you have to fight uphill for your children. So again, shout out to the fathers who are doing so uh, and handling business. Um, Let's see here. All right. Got a hundred things uh, spinning around me. I'm trying to make sure I got all the right things moving. There we go. Okay. Now, this I found online. Um, I can't verify it, but um, I have seen other things like it. I have no reason to believe this is not true, but uh, nevertheless, uh, it is a picture of uh, a gentleman uh, standing in front of a truck. He's got a little boy in front of him and a, and a boxed up basketball hoop. And the caption reads, this young man knocked on my door and said, ma'am, I seen your little boy shooting the ball in the trash can earlier. And I went and bought him a basketball goal. Jeremiah's face lit up, truly an angel. What a blessing, never met him before. Thank you, Devin. So this man, Devin, apparently bought um, a basketball hoop for a boy who was playing by himself and, and shooting into a, trash can, which uh, I know many of us have done on many occasions. So shout out to him for knocking that out um, and helping a little boy 
um, live beyond his circumstances and be able to uh, dream, right? So that's what's up. You know what I mean, these are the kind of stories I like to highlight. It doesn't have to be major multi-million dollar whatever. Just has to be basic gestures, man. Because at the end of the day, it it doesn't really take much to really impact somebody's life. And black men do it all the time. We're just not always uh, perceived as having done so. So I just want to be able to take that moment out to shout out some of these brothers that did. Okay. Now we're going to move ahead and jump into our special shout outs. Um, These are just kind of random issues that I think are important for us to keep in mind for us to know about. All right. So let's go ahead and do that. Okay, so uh, we're going to start first with acknowledging a jazz great, uh, Chick Corea, uh, jazz great with uh, 23 Grammys, dies at 79 years old, man. Um, I was blown away to find out he had passed. A towering jazz pianist from Chelsea with a staggering 23 Grammy Awards who pushed the boundaries of the genre and worked alongside Miles Davis and Herbie Hancock has died. Uh, Korea died Tuesday. Uh, of a rare form of cancer. His team posted on his website, uh, prolific artist with dozens of albums, uh, Korea, uh, uh, Korea in 1968 replaced Herbie Hancock and Miles Davis's group playing the landmark albums in a silent way and bitches brew. Uh, you can find this piece on boston.cbs local, but you can find many more. Um, I was blown away to hear it. Sad to hear it. Uh, shout out to the Korea family and much appreciation for the music, sir. So, just a heads up uh, about that. Right. Uh, this one's an interesting one. A documentary aims to show black males in a positive light. Terrell W. Brooks, who lives in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., decided to do something about the void of not seeing success- successful black men in the media. What About Me is an hour-long documentary uh, that hopes to open the door to more conversations about what black success looks like. Right? Basically, I got tired of the limited imagery of black men in America, said Brooks, one of the project's three executive producers. Um, they were either entertainers, athletes, or criminals. If you watch the news, we're so much more than that. I wanted to hear uh, what black men had to say. I wanted to humanize us. Right? So according to the trailer, the film examines black men who, for generations, have been the foundation of families and communities, but rarely seem to be seen in the media. Brooks, an events planner, publicist, and lifestyle architect, worked with friends and partners D. John Jackson and Daryl Pitts on the project. The three financed it on their own. Shout out to that. Among those uh, featured in the film include actor uh, Timon Kyle Durrett of Owns Queen Sugar, civil rights attorney J. Wendell Gordon, and Trey Causey, a 20-year-old Morehouse college student. Um, I definitely hope that in this uh, venture, they diversify effect, I diversify the definition of success and include brothers from uh, a wide variety of uh, backgrounds. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, it is definitely something that at least in terms of the description and the motivation for it, I do uh, want to support. So shout out to Brother Terrell Brooks and the uh, other brothers that co-founded that. Right. Um now, uh, now we're doing special shout outs and I'm not suggesting that all the shout outs are necessarily positive. So um, keep that in mind as we transition a bit. I'm going to play. Um, I'm actually going to play a video 
but I'm going to read it as it as it as it plays, uh, mainly because you know right now we're also we're on uh, Facebook, we're on YouTube today, we're on Twitch, but we are also broadcasting on InnerLightRadio.com. So for my uh, radio listeners, I will be describing uh, what we see. But uh, this is a video. This is a case I think many of us know about. Many of us have been aware of for the last few years. But I nevertheless wanted to make sure that um, we kind of had a chance to follow it a little bit. So here we go. Um, Okay. So nobody would learn the truth till years later about Lorenzen and Cheryl Wright, who met when they were 16 and 21. Um, As uh, Lorenzen's popularity grew as an NBA basketball player, um, they had seven children, were married for 13 years, Legend infidelities eventually led to their divorce in February 2000. Renzen moved to Atlanta, still visited Memphis, right, to see his children. Uh, in July 2010, Lorenzen was in Memphis hanging out with uh, his son and friends. Um, he got a phone call and said he had to take his son home. Right? He told his friends he'd hang out with them the following day. But that was the last time they would hear from Lorenzen. When uh, no one could reach him, his mother, Deborah Marion, uh, filed a missing persons report. Renzen's life was allegedly in jeopardy due to his uh, million-dollar life insurance policy that would be left to Shara and their children. Jimmy claimed he eventually heard about Lorenzen's murder, and a few days later, Shara was knocking at his door. She needed to borrow a metal detector because she dropped the weapon at the murder scene. Jimmy, Shara, and Billy allegedly went back to the Memphis fields where Lorenzen was murdered and retrieved the weapon. They drove to Walnut, Mississippi and tossed the gun into a lake. When questioned, Shara and Billy denied any involvement in Lorenzen's murder. The lake was searched, but the authorities didn't find the weapon. So the case went cold yet again. In 2012, Cher wrote a book about a woman married to a philandering NBA star. Many people believed it was clear the book was about their relationship. Meanwhile, she spent the $1 million insurance money upsetting Lorenzen's family. 2017, detectives decided to start from square one. They searched the lake again, and to their surprise, they located a gun. Ballistic testing confirmed it was the same gun that was used to kill Lorenzo. Enough evidence and witnesses, authorities finally had enough probable, probable cause to arrest Shara and Billy. In order to avoid a possible life sentence, Shara pleaded guilty to facilitation to commit first-degree murder and facilitation to commit attempted first-degree murder. I want no possibility of parole. That's all. That's all. I just want her to be gone. She was sentenced to 30 years and will be eligible for parole in 2024. Billy Ray Turner was charged with murder and conspiracy to commit murder. He is still awaiting trial. 
Lorenzen did not deserve to die like that. Just shot and, and left in the woods. No one taking a 911 call seriously. That, that was painful. Still is. And I'm still not over that. It's going to be devastating to their kids. You know, they've lost their father. Now they're going to lose their mom. And they have to go through the rest of their lives knowing that their mom conspired to have their, their father killed. So, why do I play that case? Well, here's the thing. One of the things we talk about here, one of the major things we talk about most consistently uh, are the experiences of Black males, of Black men, boys and men, for that matter, and things they need to be aware of, as well as uh, what, whatever's going on in the world uh, that relates to their experience. I bring this up to raise the issue of proxy murder, right? Proxy murder in this regard has to do with uh, the, the, the means by which women can actually hire other men to kill a man. Uh, and yet, um, you know, if the if the case isn't exposed the way this one was, it goes down as yet a man as yet another case of a man killing a man. Proxy murder kind of gets swept under the rug. Um, so it's one of those things where. We don't talk about it. We often don't know how to talk about it. And I've said this repeatedly for years. We have difficulty dealing with female acts of evil. So what I want to point out to you is the importance of proxy murder when really taking these kind of situations in, uh, into an under advisement. Clearly, when you're dealing with a successful NBA player and a million dollar life insurance case, you know, we people can kind of pull that together. But it's not limited to successful, rich uh, celebrities. It also happens to relatively poor or working class men. Uh, one of the differences that, um, uh, what's, uh, uh, oh my goodness, what is his name? Oh man, um, Warren Farrell, excuse me. One of the differences Dr. Warren Farrell talks about between uh, upper, upper class uh, women who engage in proxy murder and, and working class women is that they tend to use different tactics, right? Working class women's, women tend to use sex to motivate uh, men to go ahead and kill their husbands for them. Um, elite women tend to use money. Uh, but in either situation, we don't, as a public, necessarily consider that as something that men uniquely have to deal with. And it, it is fairly serious. So I bring this case up. Uh, you know, most of the cases I run across every week come across my desk organically or people send them to me. But this one was an opportunity for us to revisit something that I'm not sure uh, how many people knew about, but definitely speaks to an experience that uh, men need to be aware of. So just keep that in mind as you deal with it, right? Or as you, you know, you know, take a look at the, the circumstances of your own life. But at the end of the day, just be aware of the possibility, right? Because we don't talk about it enough. Um, Y'all are definitely familiar with this gentleman here. Uh, this is Fife Dog, right? And the title of the article that comes from rollingstone.com is Fife, Fife Dog's Posthumous Solo LP Forever Set to Release. Five years after the death of uh, Tribe Called Quest, Five Dog, the rapper's second solo album, is set to be posthumously released later this year. Titled Forever, the album will be preceded Friday by first single, Nutshell, Part 2, featuring Buster Rhymes and Redman. Continuation of sorts of Five Dog's final single, Nutshell, released less than a month after his March 2016 death. Um, so you can go ahead and pick that up. November 2015, a year before... Uh, Tribe's reunion LP, we got it from here. Thank you for your service, which later uh, served as a tribute to Fife. 
The rapper born Malik Taylor spoke to Rolling Stone about his in the works solo LP um, and album. His second following um, 2000s ventilation, the LP at the time, the LP had the title uh, Muddy Morphosis and was meant to function as his life story. While the Jay Dilla produced Nutshell was released in April 2016, the rest of uh, Fife's final recordings, a collection of carefully assembled songs earmarked by his signature verbal fireworks, hilarious ad libs, incisive social commentary, and unexpectedly introspective confessions, uh, were entrusted to Fife's business partner, Dion Liverpool, whose Smoking Needles record imprint will release forever in partnership with indie distributor AWOL. So, um, peace to Fife. If you want to support that album, uh, go ahead and look for it. Um, absolutely Pop Smoke, the Funky Diabetic. Uh, and that, unfortunately, uh, was one of the things that took him out. But peace to his family as well. If I remember correctly, I think his wife actually gave him, was it a kidney uh, at a certain point? Um, so, I mean, you know, um, powerful family, powerful artist, um, one whose music I definitely still love. Uh, so support Fife. Uh, and I'm, I'm hoping the proceeds in some way uh, go to his family as well. Uh, so uh, check that out. All right. Okay. Uh, oldie but goodie here. Uh, this one you can find on smithsonianmag.com. 50 years ago, Satchel Paige brought the Negro Leagues to baseball's Hall of Fame. Eyewitnesses said that, uh, that Satchel Paige, one of the best pitchers baseball will ever see, would tell his teammates to sit on the field so confident that he'd strike out the batter on his own. The right-handed ace, uh, ace's showmanship was backed up by the remarkable athletic ability on display with his deadly accurate fastball. Over an estimated 2,600 innings pitched, Page registered more than 200 wins and impressively more than 2,100 strikeouts. And those numbers are incomplete. Many of his games, having been played in the Negro Leagues, went unrecorded. Right? Eyewitnesses said that Satchel Page, one of the best pitchers baseball will ever see, would tell his team... Oh, yes, yeah. Um, <laughs> I must have doubled it. Uh, for 20 years after he more or less hung up his cleats, however, the National Baseball Hall of Fame... Uh, where baseball greats from Babe Ruth to Walter Johnson were enshrined, didn't have room for Page or any other Negro leaguers. Uh, because it was a different league, uh, segregated from the majors solely by race, um, the Hall hadn't considered its players eligible for induction. But in 1971, Cooperstown, New York institution finally began to recognize the accomplishments of players whose case for greatness rested on their performance in the Negro, Negro Leagues starting with page. So um, just something to check out if you haven't had a chance to. And there are a number of films uh, about Satchel Page, Josh Gibson, number of Negro Leagues. Check them out and look for them if you can. Um, uh, you know, support to the degree uh, that you uh, find it necessary. But I think this is an important one and worthy of acknowledgement. I've always been a fan of Satchel Page. So um, shout out to him and uh, support uh, the, the push for black players um, to be recognized. We had a lot of underground greats that never quite got their due, right? Never really did. Now, this one really broke my heart, to be honest with you. Um, this piece you can find on NewYorkPost.com. Uh, Nation's oldest juvenile lifer released after 68 years behind bars. 68 years i mean 
Joe Lagan was just 15 when he joined a pack of drunk teenagers on a robbery and assault spree that left two people dead and six others stabbed. Uh, illiterate and poor, Lagan uh, pled guilty to two counts of first-degree murder, though he long claimed he didn't take part in the murders. He received a life sentence in 1953. Last week, after 68 years behind bars, the 83-year-old Lagan walked out of a Pennsylvania prison, a free man, Philadelphia Inquirer reported. His sentence was reduced to 35 years to life in 2017 after the Supreme Court ruled that automatic life term for kids are cruel and unusual. But unlike fellow inmates who rushed to seek parole after the ruling, Lagan didn't want to remain monitored after he got out. He said, I'd like to be free, he told the paper. With parole, you got to see the parole people ever so often. You can't leave the city without permission. Uh, that's uh, a part of freedom for me. Now, I just got through talking about Lorenzen and Shara and how she'll be out in 2024. This man was locked up since 1953. This is ridiculous, man. I mean, I'm glad he's out, but it's much like the end of, of watching that movie Life. It's, you know, where you're like, I know I'm supposed to be celebrating that they're out, but... Oh, man. Yeah, so this... this that one, that one hurt. You know, that was ridiculous. Um, especially if he was definitely, you know, telling the truth that he uh, didn't actually have anything to, to do with the murders. He definitely did his time. So that said, man, like I said, I'm happy he's out. But the price that black men often have to pay that others don't is absolutely ridiculous. Now, just for this week, we're looking at what I'm calling uh, for this section, public service announcements. And the reason for that is because a couple of these issues are um, just things I want, I definitely want brothers to keep in mind, right? Um, let me see here. Let's see, the first up actually has to do um, with uh, a YouTuber very close to many of our hearts. This is not directly related to him, but just in terms of the circumstances. Uh, this particular article you can find on NewYorkTimes.com. It's entitled, Likely a Death Sentence. Officials fear cold weather is greater risk for homeless than the virus, right? Cold weather and the nation's homeless crisis have long been a fatal mix that community advocates and public officials have struggled to address. But this winter, the coronavirus has added a dangerous new uh, complication as cities and community groups wrestle with how to shelter members of a vulnerable population from the elements while not exposing them to an airborne virus that spreads most easily indoors. The calculation has taken on greater urgency in recent days as Arctic weather freezes a large swath of the middle of the country from Minnesota to Texas with wind chills expected to dip as low as minus 60 degrees Fahrenheit in some places. Kansas City typically spends 1.5 million a year on homeless services, according to city spokesman, but this year, uh, with the help of federal relief funds, it plans to spend $8.5 right? So this is happening across a large portion of the country. And uh, our very own uh, Green Gorilla, who um, started a show at three, uh, was talking about his circumstances. He talked about it on his show a few days ago, uh, living in Texas, uh, the circumstances there. The, I, I think they were out of power until just last night. So from Sunday to last night in 10 degree weather, uh, many people are having to resort to sleeping in their cars to stay warm, right? No gas, uh, you know, for the most part, so a lot of people living off electricity, but the power being out for several days, 
uh, is definitely a crisis of epic proportions. Now, I connect this to another story that I ran across, right? This one you can find on New York Daily News. It's it's entitled Friend Found Dead in Car, Lesson on Support and Pride. Edward Amonfo thought all was well when his friend moved out of the Bronx apartment they were sharing. His pal, 34-year-old Jonathan Agorbia, told Amonfo he was going to stay with a friend on Long Island because the coronavirus shutdown had him feeling cooped up in the city. But then last week, cops came to Amonfo, who was 38, with the terrible truth. His friend had been living out of his car, parked outside of a McDonald's, less than half a mile from the apartment they shared, and was found dead in his vehicle, frozen to death. So on the real, you know, what I'm saying is we, we really need to, you know, extend to each other. We need to support one another. Now, this particular case, I don't know what was going on. I don't know what led to his decision to want to leave. I don't know what circumstances may have been going on under the table. I only know what the article says, but I'm not pointing out um, this man's mistakes. What I'm saying is based on what we're seeing happening to a large part of the country in regard to the weather, in regard to people's living situations, uh, be mindful. Um, try and extend, if you can, to people in need. Check with those that uh, are in your care. Check with your friends. Check with your, your family. Make sure people are all right. And if people need it, you know, see if you can extend, if it's at all possible, to help because uh, it, it goes there. I mean, I live in Fresno. A lot of people don't know much about Central California, but we tend to have desert weather. Um, and I didn't really know what that meant until I moved here. Right. And so what that what I've seen just living here is that the winters can get down to 29 degrees and the summers can get over 115. So on either end of the spectrum, people die. Right. So, you know, at the end of the day, please be careful. And if you need help, um, I hope you have the capacity to ask for it. I really do. Because too much of the time, um, you know, people suffer unnecessarily um, and not necessarily because they don't have people willing to help, but because they're unwilling to ask for it. So I hope that's not the case. If you are going through something and you need help, I hope you're able to ask those that you uh, are familiar with or those you are tied to uh, in one way, shape or form and get some help. Um, so that said, um, uh, Green Gorilla did point out that he's doing all right. He said the I think he said the electricity electricity came back on. Um, so shout out to him. But, uh, you know, this is this is concerning. This is happening to a lot of people. We've been saying this for years in regard to black men. The percentage of them that are dealing with homelessness is much higher than many of us tend to know on a general basis. And much of that has to do with incarceration. So when these brothers get out, even if they have housing vouchers, a lot of the time nobody will rent to them. Um, and so the end of the day, um, the numbers are not at all as clear as we would like them to be. But anyway, keep a keep a sharp eye out um, for those in your charge. Right. So we're going to switch gears a little bit here. This is another video I'm going to play for you um, because I often talk a lot about appreciate that support. K. I often talk a lot about abuse. And I often hear people tell me that men, particularly black men, can't experience it, uh, which is absolute garbage. Um, but in the meantime, please support support the show. We got 250 watching. Like, share, subscribe, join, become a member uh, and support if you will. It would definitely be appreciated. Um, let me go ahead and pull this up. 
this I ran across on Facebook earlier this week. Um, and it is this version I got didn't have any sound, but it is of a wife who has a pot of boiling water that she is pouring on her sleeping husband and then whipping him with a belt, right? Accusing him of infidelity. Now, one of the interesting things I noticed in these conversations that tend to come up between men and women and relationships is that somehow when it comes to infidelity, um, this is acceptable. This is somehow okay. Um, people don't seem to have a problem with this uh, as if for some reason, um, you know, it's, I mean, people are laughing at the video, making fun of him. Um, John, appreciate that generous uh, support. Thank you. Um, people laugh. People make jokes about it. It's dismissive. It's funny. But the funny part is if you reverse the genders, there wouldn't be a laugh going on anywhere, at least not publicly. Right. This husband comes in with a pot of boiling water, pours it on his sleeping wife, and then begins to beat her with a belt. Whole different reaction, right? And we've said this time and time again, people do not really know how to empathize with black men. And a lot of that, if you've read uh, Dr. Tommy Curry's The Man Not, goes back to um, really the slavery era, the 19th century, most particularly in regard, in regard to how ethnologists would frame and describe black men, mostly as children, or lesser beings, and of course that evolves into the 20th century, into criminals and rapists. But either way, an inhumane perspective that is baked into the national imagination about how black, who black men are, what they are fundamentally, and what they are capable of. And if nothing else, it adds up to a concoction that is void of empathy. So when you see these kind of videos where men are attacked by their spouses, it's considered justifiable, if anything. And the first question I notice people tend to ask, and overwhelmingly it tends to be women, is what he must have done. And the argument is somehow laden with this idea that he deserved what happened, even if we don't know the reason. Her accusations somehow serve as judgment. No reflection, no evidence required. She suspects it. Ergo, it must have happened and he must have deserved it. But here's the thing. Even if there was infidelity involved, that still doesn't justify that. I mean, think about that, right? Yet again, I use the same scenario. You have a woman who has been caught cheating. Even in that case, if you saw a video where she has been caught cheating and the husband begins to beat her, do people regard that as acceptable because she was caught? Usually not. This type of entitlement has really, in my assessment, caused too many problems and it's got that there are many women that don't even see their acts as abusive and they don't see other women's acts as abusive this is all acceptable and the argument somehow becomes that you know if men have a problem with it they just need to start acting better not that the abuse needs to stop and again if men respond in kind then that is abuse so that's the interesting part to it if this gentleman had gotten out of bed and began to physically strike her, that would be considered abuse, not only in terms of what the wife would bring to the to the police department, but what people watching the video would say. So nothing prior to that is abuse. But if he responds, it's abuse. But just in case you think this is just something that um, I'm making up, because, again, I've, I've heard everything from uh, men that I've talked to to academics 
who argue that black men can't be abused. Here's another. His car broke down. He's spending the night over his friends. Oh, so he was with you all night? Oh, okay. Okay, well, um, yeah, he has a whole girlfriend. Uh-huh. Yes, I'm his girlfriend. Yes, and he has you saved in his phone as Chick-fil-A. Mm-hmm. Yes. No, just do a favor. Don't call him no more, because he might be dead. All right. <laughs> Thanks. Now, in case you couldn't make out what was being said, this was a woman who was on the phone with another woman um, as her boyfriend or husband, I'm not sure which, was asleep. And as she was on the phone talking to another woman, the other woman claimed that he had spent the night with her, uh, telling his girlfriend that his car broke down. He had her listed in his phone as Chick-fil-A. So as she's talking to the woman, she's wrapping a belt around his neck. And, um, you know, then she proceeds to tell the woman never to call back and then wakes him up by choking him with the belt. Now, we've seen these kind of things popularized in movies, most particularly, you know, Tyler Perry kind of movies, uh, black film, most particularly. So it's really one of the only industries where I see a lot of this abuse uh, happening a lot, but posted as comedies. Right. Or some type of uh, righteously vindictive narrative that's applauded. Uh, in theaters, or at least when we were in theaters, right? Now, I don't know if this is real. I have been fooled before, but my case with these is not necessarily anymore whether or not a given video is real, but more so what it celebrates and what it promotes. Now, I tend to believe that this particular incident uh, is more than likely uh, real, but that aside, either way, this is absolutely inhumane and unacceptable, right? But it's far... Uh, more acceptable to the rank and file, uh, you know, everyday folk who seem to think that this is something to celebrate, right? And it's absolutely ridiculous. But again, if he got up and he began to respond in kind, only that would be considered abuse. One of the things I noticed too, if you if you watch Karen, uh, Kevin Samuel's show, one of the things that he runs across a great deal are uh, women who will talk to him about having been abused. Uh, and he starts, I know one of the things I noticed he did a couple months ago, he started asking them, did you file a police report? And I know, and I had a chance to talk to him uh, privately. And one of the things he shared with me is he started asking the question because the, the accusations were so rampant, but the idea was somehow that, you know, there was nothing preceding this. The, this guy just walked in, she's baking cookies. He picks up a baseball bat and goes to town just because it's Tuesday, right? But what you tend to find, and according to the data, especially in regard to the black community, is that uh, intimate partner violence is bidirectional, almost equal in terms of it being initiated from men to women and women to men. It's almost equal, right? These are the things we're not often told, right? So when you begin to look at the data, and in the other week, uh, last week, I pointed out the number of deaths as a result of intimate partner homicide, and you'll find against the population of 43-odd million black folk, you're really talking about, you know, uh, 200 women, 170 men on a given year. Obviously, those numbers change, but for the most part, that's the ratio. So against stereotype, no, black men are not killing black women in mass in terms of abuse and homicide. And when it comes to violence, the violence is bidirectional. Appreciate the support very little, right? The violence is bidirectional. It's equal one side to the other. So 
Although, but see, what isn't equal is that we have on one side an attitude that women should not be touched, should not be violently engaged. And that's absolutely the case. That's why I mean, I don't think human beings should live in situations where they have to experience violence, especially in their own homes. Don't have a problem with that. But when it comes to men, we somehow just kind of walk away like there's nothing to be seen here. Now, I reported on a case in the, in the last couple of weeks. I've recorded, you know, you guys know I report on a few of these cases where you've had husbands being abused. And there was another case. I even put it up as a solo video where the woman poured burning, um, you know, boiling hot water on her boyfriend and sat there and laughed. And in that case, they didn't even give a motive for it. She watched the skin fall off his body and he had to drive himself to the hospital. Any widespread scream about it? Any mass movement to acknowledge? No, none of that. Again, it's considered acceptable. So I just showed you two cases back to back on caught on video. And if you go look at the comments in social media on those, you find people mostly laughing. I find it unacceptable. And this is why I push uh, as a black male justice advocate for us to begin to really push a policy that addresses the particularities of black men's experiences, despite how much they're ignored. Because being ignored has nothing to do with it. Now, this one case I'm about to read you involves um, somebody that you're already quite familiar with, but you may not have known about this. This is a very old situation. Uh, Eddie Murphy's going to come up again a little later in a whole different context, but at least as far as this one is concerned, um, I'm just finding out about this particular case. Now, apparently in Rolling Stone years ago, Eddie Murphy did an interview where he talked about his, his biological father. Now I saw Eddie on Saturday night live honor his father who was sitting in the audience. Turned out that was his stepfather about his biological father. Father. He says, um, he says, uh, his father was killed in 1969. And in the Rolling Stones, he says, my mother and father broke up when I was three and he died when I was eight. So I have very dim memories. He was a victim of the Murphy charm. And then he laughed, said a woman stabbed my father. I never got all the logistics. It was supposed to be one of those crimes of passion. Uh, if I can't have you, no one else will kind of deal. Yeah. So again, this is not new. These kind of cases are not new. To what extent do we talk about them? To what extent are they a part of our national conversation? To what extent do you sit in classrooms where the assault on males and victims as victims of intimate partner violence and intimate partner homicide are discussed? How many of you have actually been in a college class where that's been the subject? See, I hope you have, because I haven't. I went to school, uh, higher education from 1992 to 2008. Not once, not once did I ever have any class discussion or assignment that dealt with the experiences of men and particularly their vulnerabilities in regard to abuse. Never. So one of the brightest stars that we've seen in Hollywood, right? Hasn't seen his father since he was eight. Behind a murder that even he knows very little about. 
And nobody has a problem with that. Appreciate the support, Alpha Sigma. I definitely do. I definitely have a problem with that. Now this one, I'm just going to leave up for you to peruse. I will, of course, read it to my uh, innerlightradio.com audience. This is a meme that just uh, has a picture of Cardi B. Says just your yearly reminder reminder that Cardi B admitted to drugging and robbing men, and no one cares. And what's left out is allegedly also uh, either raping them or having friends do so. Sexual violation taking place alongside drugging and robbing men. You tell me. I just want to just take a moment, silence, have you look at that, make sure that uh, we keep that in memory because it is what it is. All right. Speaking of memory, memory is a funny thing. It really is. Um, many of us remember four little girls bombed in uh, 1963 at a Birmingham church, September 15th. And, and that bombing racist bombing um, injured 14 people but killed uh, Sarah Collins um, and a 12 year old sister of Addie Mae Collins who lost an eye Um, sorry my document froze up here I will be replacing this computer very soon, mainly because um, I'm pushing it to its limits. So, anybody willing to support, you are uh, welcome to do so. You will find no argument from me. Um, There we go. I just wanted to kind of give their names because they should be. And although I was prepared to, my little document is acting funny. So, here we go. So um, uh, 14-year-old Addie Mae Collins, Denise McNair, Carol Robertson, Robertson, and 11-year-old Cynthia, Cynthia Wesley um, killed just before 11 o'clock at this horrendous bombing, right? Oh, I already added Ram King Harris, but thank you. And this is, is, this is definitely something that we need to stay aware of. We need to keep in mind because this legacy is not far behind. $1.99. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate the support. Right. But I also want to alert you to, you know, something that we're often not told took place the same exact day. Same exact day, same exact city. Right. This is from a piece you can find on WBRC.com. Remembering the two boys killed the same day as church mommy. Riots broke out. Right. Uh, It says later that same day, unknown to many people, two African-American boys were killed. In separate incidents, uh, says President and CEO of Birmingham Civil Rights Institute, Andrea Taylor. 13-year-old Virgil Ware was riding on the handlebars of his brother's bike when he was struck by two bullets and collapsed on the ground. His killer, 16-year-old Larry Sims, served just six months in a juvenile detention center. 16-year-old Johnny Robinson was shot in the back by a police officer. The officer alleged that Robinson was throwing rocks at cars. That's capital 
capital offense, apparently. Taylor wants to shed a light specifically on the young African-American men in our society. She says young African-American males are still endangered in this country in terms of the number of random killings of defenseless individuals. So if anything, I just want to remind you that um, <clears throat> we also need to think about our boys not taking anything away from the tragic deaths of the four little girls that we've known about since 1963. I just, to be a 46-year-old professor in Africana Studies who only found out about this a little while ago, it speaks to the obliviousness of uh, black male life and the degree to which they can be erased from public memory at a whim. We've known for years now, and we talk about this in black male studies circles, that there are about two to 300 black males killed by police officers every year. And that doesn't even include those killed by vigilantes. How many of those na names are we familiar with, right? We hear accusations that too much attention is spent dealing with black males who've been killed. But the interesting thing about that is there's about one or two of them whose names we remember out of two to 300 per year. And again, that doesn't include vigilante murders. So that said, I would argue the number of boys and men that we don't pay attention to is staggering. And if this is something from 1963 that I don't know about or we don't talk about, what's happened since then? How many names are we familiar with then? Anybody want to do the calculations? two to 300 deaths nationally per year from 1963 to 2021. I don't have the heart to, but I ain't mad at you if you do. That would be the number of black males that we do not think about who have long since died at the hands of police. Um, and again, may or may not include vigilantes. I've decided to change the name of current events to the Black Masculinist News Feed because what I'm trying to do is give you information relevant uh, to Black men, right? It may deal directly with them. It may be issues that are raised that are pertinent for Black men to think about or for those who care for Black men to think about um, or Black men and boys for that matter, right? Just things to keep on uh, your radar as it relates to Black males. Now, in the, in, in the first case, what we're going to find is this doesn't necessarily have to do with black males directly. It more has to do with a difference in what people can invoke, right? And particularly in, in this particular case. So this is a piece that you'll find uh, from Caribbean National Weekly. It's entitled American Tourist Fakes Abduction to Get Out of Quarantine in Jamaica. Uh, American stewardess Kalina Collier, who recently visited Jamaica and convinced hundreds of thousands of social media users, including celebrities, that she was being held hostage by a local hotel simply because she did not want to follow the quarantine order. The JetBlue Airways employee arrived on the island on January 28th and was scheduled to depart on February 1st. After arriving to the island, Collier took an antigen test that returned a positive result on January 30th. Convinced that she did not have the virus, she took another test upon arrival that came back negative. Due to the inconsistent results of the antigen test, the Ministry of Health and Wellness recommended she take a PCR test on February 2nd, which came back positive. Collier was then advised that she was to complete a 14-day quarantine in her hotel room. Her hotel, Ocean Coral Spring in Trelawney, 
also offered to have her stay the period at no extra cost instead of transferring to a government facility. On February 4th, Collier went on Instagram Live to tell her story to her 11,000 followers. In the video, she alleged that she was being held hostage by the hotel and urged her followers to call the local embassy, immigration authorities in the United States, and news stations in New York and make them aware of her situation. uh, You guys, she's talking about the hotel, are getting money from the government uh, to say that you handled COVID-19 correctly and I'm over it. Yes, they tried to traffic me. I'm suing the pants off this place, she said on Instagram. She also alleged that she was being deprived of food and said the hotel employees had put hidden cameras in her room, which were really sprinklers. Her video on Instagram went viral across social media platforms with over 200,000 views. The allegation resulted in the hashtags, where is Kalina and save Kalina Collier, trending on social media. Social media influencers, including Grenadian American actress Amanda Seals and Jamaican artist Spice, also believed the allegations and spoke on the incident. After disappearing from social media, Collier gave an update days later, saying that she was fine and not being held hostage, nor was she kidnapped. But by then, hundreds of thousands of people had already been convinced that the worst had happened. Scores of social media users bombarded the page of the hotel, saying that they should close down for good. Those same people urged their followers to hashtag boycott Jamaica and even sent death threats to senior advisor and strategist uh, at the tourism ministry in Jamaica, Delano uh, Severite. On February 14th, at the end of Collier's 14-day quarantine period, she was released from the hotel and departed the country along with her mother, who had subsequently arrived on the island. Jamaica's police force advised members of the public to dismiss allegations made by Collier, saying that they were baseless and mischievous. The police said she was visited by members of the Trelawney Division who confirmed that she was safe and never in any danger. The allegations have destroyed the reputation of the hotel and caused damage to Jamaica's already struggling tourism industry. Collier still maintains that she spoke the truth. She also said that she was harassed by tourism officials in Jamaica to make a statement. Now, the reason I talk about this is there are two at least two types of entitlement that I can see going on here, right? You have entitlement on the basis of nationality, uh, American entitlement. I have seen it. It is gross. Um, But also a very particular type of gendered entitlement, right? Because boys and men have actually been a part of the trafficking industries in regard to sex and labor for centuries. Yet, you, you really, as a man, can't get on social media and claim to have been trafficked or violated in this way and be taken seriously. Nobody takes it seriously. But she knew she could do that. Right. So to that degree, um, this is the kind of stuff we're talking about. Right? Using the kind of perspective, using the assumptions that people make in regard to protecting women and girls in a really a predatory manner, right? For attention. It's ridiculous and yet acceptable, right? Things we do from claiming to be trafficked to putting gorilla glue in our hair for attention. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, just one I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. It's just a little heads up. If you are a media fan, 
Uh, it is said that Eddie Murphy will be playing uh, Marion Barry in an HBO biopic directed by Spike Lee. Um, I'm not sure when it's scheduled to come out. I didn't see that in the article, but um, it looks like, if nothing else, like it would be interesting. Um, so he'll be playing the Washington, D.C. former mayor um, who was born uh, March 6, 1936 in Mississippi, where his father was a sharecropper um, and yet passed away when um, Marion Barry was four. Uh, and his mother moved the family to Memphis, where she remarried and raised nine children. Uh, he received his bachelor's in 1958 from Lemoyne College and a master's in chemistry from Fisk in 1960. After finishing his master's, he became very involved in the civil rights movement, ser served as the first national chairman of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, 1964. Um, uh, his job in, in SNCC was to go around the country to all of the state legislatures to try to convince them to vote to make Mississippi Freedom uh, Democratic Party the recognized Democratic Party of Mississippi. Uh, he then moved to D.C. to launch a local chapter where he coordinated a peaceful street demonstration to protest bus fare increases and eventually quit SNCC in 1967 when he co-founded uh, co Pride, Inc., uh, a jobs program for black men who were unemployed. In 1978, he ran for mayor of D.C. and won. 1990, he was convicted of drug, drug charges and served six months in prison, but then went on to win the city's 1995 uh, election for mayor, which he held until 1999. Uh, he later served on the city council, representing the city's eighth ward, and died in 2014 at the age of 78. Appreciate that, uh, Urban uh, Warlock. Good to have you aboard. Thanks for becoming a member. All right, so look out for that. Might be something you find interesting, right? Uh, we do try and deal with policy here. Um, and I think this is one that merits some reflection, right? Um, title of this article that you can find on fox32chicago.com, excuse me, um, is entitled, Tennessee Bill Would Allow Fathers to Prevent Abortions. Two Tennessee lawmakers have introduced a bill that would allow the alleged father of an unborn child to file a court injunction and prevent the mother from getting an abortion. The bill, which was introduced by Senator Mark uh, Pody and Representative uh, Jerry Sexton, um, states that a person can petition a court for an injunction to prohibit a woman who is pregnant with the person's unborn child from obtaining an abortion, according to both House Bill 1079 and Senate Bill 949. Uh, 14 days after the petition is filed, the motion to stop abortion would be decided at a court hearing where both parties can present evidence. Another stipulation of the bill is the person who is seeking to stop the abortion does not need to prove he's the biological father, get that, meaning DNA evidence is not needed. The bill states all the petitioner needs is a voluntary acknowledgement of paternity that is not subject to being rescinded or challenged. The proposed bill does not specify uh, if instance, instances of rape apply. Meanwhile, in South Carolina, other proposed uh, abortion legislation that's drawn attention is also making its way to approval. Uh, the proposal would likely ban almost all abortions in the state. It moved closer to final approval in committee and a committee vote split along party lines last week. The proposal would require doctors to use an ultrasound to try to detect fetal heartbeat if they think pregnant women are at least eight weeks long. If they find a heartbeat and the pregnancy is not the result of rape or incest, an abortion cannot be performed unless the mother's life is in danger. 
Fetal heartbeat can be detected as soon as six weeks after the conception and before many women even know they're pregnant. About a dozen other states have passed similar bills, although they are tied up in court challenges. Now, you all know here at the Onyx Report, we have been developing a black male political agenda um, that is on our on my blog, right? Newblackmasculinities.wordpress.com. And in that um, that list of black uh, black male political points, one of the things we've opted for is a financial uh, abortion, which basically means that men should have a period of time to decide if they want to be financially involved in the production of a new family, essentially. Um, but this is all another level. So um, just keep it on your radar. Keep an eye out for it. You know, I mean, clearly we talk about the impact such leg legislation would have on women, um, but we don't often know how to think about the impact as it pertains to men. And I think there's some interesting turns that if nothing else merit reflection, whether you agree or disagree uh, with the proposed bill. So we'll see what happens with those. All right. All right. Let's see here. Now, you guys know I've been talking about these kind of cases for a minute. And what I'm basically referring to is in the last year, right, since we've dealt with this new COVID pandemic economy, one of the things that we've seen is there is there, there have been programs, there have been grants, there have been all kinds of uh, different kinds of uh, projects designed to help people. Some are uh, listed on the basis of race, some on gender, and an interesting amount of them targeted to Black women directly, but very few to none targeted at Black males. This particular um, article stems from foxat5atlanta.com, and it's entitled Google to provide 100,000 Black women with career digital skills training. Right. Now, I've argued for the longest that these types of acts, alongside many others that have been around with us for decades, basically separate the quality of life between black men and women in such a way that I argue that they help create a buffer class with black women that leaves black males in precarious positions. But since the pandemic, we still we're going to talk tonight, obviously, about the new BLS data and look at where things kind of are. But over time. I argue that this is going to have a dramatic impact on the differences between black men and women and the lack of support for black males and how it impacts the family. Right. But according to this, Google is aiming to help employees help the employee employment crisis. Women of color continue to face during the pandemic. Now, look, I'm going to cover some of the data about how many women have lost jobs, but I want you to keep this in mind as we do. Right. We've been saying this for years um, and so we know that in terms of black men in over 35 major cities, unemployment has been up to 40 and 50 percent before the pandemic. So as these articles talk about how many women have lost jobs, we do not yet know the impact of the pandemic on men who are 40 to 50 percent unemployed before the pandemic hit. I still haven't seen any programs targeted at those very men. Nevertheless. The tech giant Google on Friday announced an initiative to provide 100,000 black women with career development and digital skills training by spring 2022. During COVID-19 pandemic, women have accounted for 56% of people leaving the workforce with black women significantly impacted, losing 154,000 jobs in the month of December 2020 alone, according to the data, data by McKinsey and company Google noted. Uh, grow with Google, uh, black women lead aims to close the economic opportunity gap 
with Google citing data that 80% of middle skilled jobs in the U.S. require digital proficiency. The company is teaming up with six groups led by black women, including Dress for Success, which provides a network of professional support and career services like mentorship and interview training for women. The Lynx Inc., a nonprofit volunteer service, and four sororities of the National Panhellenic Council, an organization composed of historically African-American collegiate sororities and fraternities. Workshop feature, workshops featured will include interview training, resume building, analytic, analytics-based decision-making, online marketing, and more. The initiative is part of a $15 million commitment Google announced in June to help Black job seekers grow their digital skills. The pandemic has resulted in unemployment for millions of Americans, and its impact uh, and its impacts are further revealing the economic opportunity gaps that still exist for Black women, according to Melanie Parker, Chief Diversity Officer at Google. I'm grateful to the leaders of these organizations who are united for the first time with the shared goal of upskilling 100,000 Black women with digital skills. Their legacy, expertise, and credibility will help ensure we accomplish this mission. Overall, women have lost 5.4 million jobs during the 10 months of the pandemic, according to data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. Right. So this is what we're looking at. What is the long-term impact of this? This is what this is something I've been saying even when they were just talking about giving stimulus checks to small mom and pop businesses. Um, and we had men come call into and write into the comments in this very show talking about the only way they were able to even get support is to actually have a woman front their organization or their business, a business they themselves run, but had to have a female face in order to find any type, type, type of support. This is a problem. This is a problem. And I think it'll have long-term impact the more we tend to not look at it. Now, believe it or not, when I posted this um, on Facebook and in other spaces, uh, I tend to find that you have men and women celebrating this. And I'm, hey, you know, I'm not telling you not to celebrate it, but what I am telling you is look at the impact this bifurcated support system provides one group and not another, right? All right, this is an interesting one based in Chicago, abc7chicago.com. And it's entitled Chicago Police Investigating Kenwood Robberies in which men were lured by women via dating apps. Now, I've talked a bit about intimate partner violence, intimate partner homicide, but as it relates to men's experiences with it, men being on the, the uh, you know, the, the victimized side of the, the fence and the degree to which, despite the data, we don't talk about it, we ignore it as if it doesn't happen. It doesn't suit what we've learned and heard about in popular media in regard to abuse. Even if the numbers are the same, we don't pay any attention to it. But in this instance, we're talking about a different type of vulnerability, right? We're talking about the ways in which men can be lured uh, via dating apps into being robbed. Police are warning residents of two robberies recently reported in Kenwood on the south side of Chicago. In each incident, a male arranged to meet with a woman using an online dating application Chicago police said when the male arrived at the location, he met the women who led him into a nearby residence. And once inside, he is attacked by three males who took his property. The male is then forced to go to an ATM to withdraw money. In one incident, the robbers fled in the victim's vehicle. Now, some of these cases actually result in, in, uh, in you know, physical attack and, and murder. 
right? But I don't hear much about them. So we talked about proxy murder a little earlier on and the way that can impact a man's life. Uh, but we don't often talk about how dating apps uh, and this kind of bait and switch, especially in an economy like this. So reason, the whole reason behind why I posted this article, fellas, uh, Urban War- Warlock, appreciate that. Um, the whole reason I posted this particular article was really to let you guys know to be careful. Seriously, be careful. You know, um, nobody's thinking about your vulnerability. Nobody's really even acknowledging when you've been uh, mistreated, you know, victimized, beat up or killed. There's not a lot of attention paid to it. So I'm telling you, please be careful out there because in this kind of economy, people are going for what they know. And unfortunately, what they know can be, you know, pretty violent. So uh, this is a very particular type of, of vulnerability we don't talk about. Fellas, definitely be careful. All right. Uh, interesting case. Again, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this one, but I wanted to really kind of acknowledge it and in a way shout this father out. Uh, I ain't mad at him at all. Um, but this is a piece that was sent to me on YouTube entitled Daughter is Told by Teacher to Lie to Father. Father is shocked and outraged after a teacher told his daughter, and apparently it seems to be a Caucasian woman, uh, to keep a secret from him. Daughter was propositioned by another student um, asking if she had ever seen a black penis and then was called the N-word. The teacher then said she didn't need, she didn't see a reason uh, for the girl to tell her father and asked her not to do so. Uh, the girl's brother, when they got home, told her to tell her father. Father, of course, was quite upset. He went up to the school and he recorded the whole incident on his phone. Shout out to him. Uh, and is thinking of taking um, legal action against the district, against the school for this type of behavior. Um, and I, I applaud him for doing so. Uh, I think it's important for our, particularly our children to see their fathers advocate for them. And I think most particularly for girls, because I think what it does is it sets a precedent in her mind about what it means and feels like to be loved by someone, a man in particular, who is in your corner and taking care of you. And as much as we know that to be the case with fathers in general, um, I think particularly for black girls, this is a healing act. Um, she knows her father cares. You know what I'm saying Brooklyn student appreciate that support. Right. So this is just one I wanted to really kind of shout out the father in, and again, just kind of urge the fathers to keep doing what you're doing in terms of supporting your kids and uplifting them. Because a lot of the time um, when that doesn't happen, it ends up having a decades long impact on the people involved. This could have been one of those situations where this girl carries with her a certain type of emotional trauma. She may not even voice that may impact her behavior, her perceptions of teachers, of men, of whomever. Um, so these kind of moments may seem small, but they're act- actually very powerful, and very important. Right? So shout out to him. Right? Now, this one, I think, is some uh, a number of you may have seen kind of blew me out of my chair, but I don't really know why. I think the reason it blew me out of my chair is I seldom see these reported, at least this type to this level. You see what I mean in a moment. This is one you can find on NOLA.com. Uh, entitled transcripts show extremely sexual phone calls between student inmate and New York New Orleans principal. Right, 2017, Christy Sampson Kelly was hired as the principal at Travis High School, New Orleans School for Incarcerated Youth, uh, based on a sparkling resume that featured a PhD 
and national acclaim in the field of special education. Now, Samson Kelly is known for her arrest in November on a warrant accusing her engaging in more than 700 extremely sexual and explicit phone calls with a 17-year-old inmate, according to the report by an investigator with the, or uh, the Orleans Parish Sheriff's Department. WWL Television obtained partial transcripts of some of the conversations, most of which are too explicit to publish, but can be described as sexually intimate and at times romantic. In one segment, the juvenile describes an act of oral sex that he would like Samson Kelly to perform on him. She agrees to do so, according to transcripts. In another section, the juvenile says, I want to hear your sexy voice. She replies that she wants a part of his anatomy that is too graphic to repeat here. And I'm reading the story, so that's what they say. And about uh, in between talk about sex, the transcripts show less graphic conversation. They show that in one instance, the juvenile says, tell me you want to marry me, to which the principal replies, I want to marry you. And another, the transcript shows the inmate asking, how much do you miss me? She responds, I miss you a lot. Uh, when I heard what happened, I was furious, devastated, hurt, and angry. The inmate's mother said she took advantage of my child. Now, she was actually married. There's another picture that I didn't go get, but you can find it pretty easily. You see her and her husband, both seemingly well-to-do, upscale, so on and so forth. Now, I bring this up for two reasons. One, um, many will say that this is a grown man. This shouldn't be a problem. Now, I will tell you that at the end of the day, when you're dealing with an older woman, woman with a lot more experience as a very young man, um, and it depends, of course, on the young man, that can be devastating because you are often not emotionally prepared to deal with the circumstances. But here's the deal. Whether he's old enough to deal with it, mature enough to handle it is not the point. The point is it's illegal, right? And again, if this was a male principal and a female student, there would be no empathy. There would be no examining his marriage to assess how mistreated or uh, left alone by his wife he's been. There would be no discussion about how his wife hasn't touched him in X amount of time and how he was lonely. And this student really just touched him emotionally in a place that hadn't been. And no, nobody would care. They would call him a rapist, a pedophile, and it would be the end of the discussion. But it's interesting when I see these kind of cases, I hear a lot of people arguing, well, how, how young is 17? Maybe 17 should, you know, I hear these kind of things. I never hear people say that when it comes to a 42 year old principal and a 17 year old girl. I don't hear it, right? But the other reason I bring this case up is because a lot of the times when you see me report on these cases, you know, they're teachers, but, you know, we don't hear about PhDs. And what I want to point out is this stuff happens across class. It really comes down to whether or not it gets caught, whether or not people get reported on, so on and so forth. But this happens. It happens across class. This is my peer, this woman here, Right? And the other thing I used to hear is when I would, you know, especially when I would find these cases and I would post them on Facebook, I would always get sisters that would come in and say, well, that's white women. Word. I mean, one of the things we've known in the black community for quite a while is that whole trope about your mom's best friend. I've met far too many men that have stories about that at younger and younger ages, not just 17, 18, 9, 10, 12, 13. Again, go look at the work done by Dr. Tommy Curry. Curry, you know, look at the article he wrote uh, with, um, oh man, I forgot the sister's name. I do apologize to her. She did some beautiful work. Ebony Utley. Uh, so Tommy Curry, Ebony Utley, uh, she touched me. Look at that piece. Essay wrote where they actually interviewed grown men 
who had experienced this type of sexual violation when they were young. And the data they found was that basically in a nutshell, black males had their sexual debut, their first experiences with actual intercourse at far younger ages than black girls. And what they deduced was that it was older girls and younger boys, but of course, sometimes grown women and younger boys. And in our community, this is often dismissed as a rite of passage. So if there is emotional damage and the report that uh, Dr. Curry did actually showed that these young boys had the same emotional responses that young girls have when they're violated by older men, but it's just not regarded. So when you have a case like this and you see a 17 year old, 16 year old, 15 year old dealing with a 35, 40, 45 year old woman, there is a vast emotional gulf that takes place. Fast emotional gulf. I'm 46 years old. If I deal with a girl that's 30 years my junior, emotionally, in terms of maturity, yeah, she would be a victim. There's a lot I could do to her if I so chose. That's no different in this case here, right? But again, we don't know how to look at those kind of things and we definitely don't know how to regard them, right? So... Protect your children, keep your eye out, and don't get it twisted. Just because they have a PhD and serve as in a high administrative capacity has nothing to do with their capacity to hurt your child. Um, it is what it is. So just be mindful of that. Now, I chose to use the actual pictures here, but this actual article uh, coming out of um, Chicago Sun-Times uh, or chicago.suntimes.com actually is talking about the latest film that came out, Black Messiah and Judas, uh, dealing with the life of uh, Black Panther chapter chairman uh, in Illinois, Fred Hampton. Um, and the article is actually entitled Bobby Rush to meet his actor uh, or the actor who portrays him in the film. Now, I will say I did watch the film. I will be doing a review for those in my Patreon film review group. Uh, if you're interested in signing up for that, just go to Patreon, sign up for the film review and a group, and you can you can also enjoy some of the perks of the private office hours that we have on YouTube after my show. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to go into a full review of the film here. Um, I will briefly read from the article, and then I'll talk a little bit about what I saw in the film. Uh, Rush, uh, Rush, Bobby Rush says, Pan Black Panther Illinois chapter chairman Fred Hampton's words ring true uh, decades after the charismatic leader's killing. Uh, former Black Panther member and U.S. Rep. Bobby Rush, uh, Democrat of Illinois, and Daryl Britt Gibson, the actor who portrays him in the film Judas and the Black Messiah, would love to meet one day. Rush, the co-founder of the Black Panther Party Illinois chapter, said he's seen the film, which details the events uh, leading up um, to a December 1969 pre-dawn raid that led to the killing of chapter chairman Fred Hampton, 21. And, and that's one thing I'm, I'm going to show you in a minute. You're not going to believe that uh, Hampton was 21. But anyway, um, the killing of chapter chairman Fred Hampton, 21, and Mark Clark by the Chicago Police Department in conjunction with the Cook County State's Attorney's Office and the FBI. The film was emotionally engaging, said Rush. It's a good film that needs to be seen. It will bring Fred's story into sharp focus, his personality, his life in general, and certainly his assassination into sharp focus. We must always keep in mind that Fred Hampton's assassination was the only state-sanctioned assassination of a political leader on American soil. Abraham Lincoln's assassination wasn't state-sanctioned. John F. Kennedy's assassination wasn't state-sanctioned. Uh, and like most of the films based on true events, this one is missing key events, Rush says. 
Um, welcome to the uh, Brotherhood, King Harris. Um, anyway, um, let me see. He says, um, it's missing key events. However, he says, Judas uh, shows the extent of the fear of the FBI led by director J. Edgar Hoover, uh, head of the Panthers, mainly Hampton at the time. The film was accurate up till, up till a point. It's not the full story of the Black Panthers nor the Illinois Black Panther Party, said Rush. Fred was considered a national threat. Hoover was afraid of Fred's potential to be a national spokesman. They had to be aware of the fact that we were working tirelessly to get Fred out of the country. I would encourage people to go see the movie. It's a Hollywood version of the truth, but people will be more knowledgeable about the heroic and valiant contributions of these young men and women who dedicated themselves to try and uplift the black community. Right. So very powerful film. Uh, I did. I did appreciate how much they showed uh, in terms of J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI's influence uh, and the extent they went to uh, really, you know, control. We're talking about COINTELPRO. Um, and you don't generally see a lot of Hollywood made films that really deal with COINTELPRO's impact, particularly during this era in the 1960s and 70s. Right? Um, I wanted to play a very, uh, there's a couple minutes. It's a clip of Hampton himself talking. Um, I should have edited it a little bit. So I think the beginning of it, um, is, it's a little garbly, but this is basically um, uh, Fred Hampton talking about the importance of education. And he's dealing with it in the context of um, starting a new program. So let's check it out. You basically knowing my dollars and basically you know me knowing yours, you can uh support some of our programs, is that what you're saying? Why not? And you believe in programs like the Breakfast Children program and free health clinics? Right on brother? We believe they're good things. Uh-huh. As a focal point to organize their mothers and fathers. Uh-huh. Peace. Mm-hmm. There's no educational program here? Uh that's come out of social action. You know, you set that up, brother. I mean, we can't put everything on one piece of paper. What about this bank? Credit union? Mm-hmm. Credit union. Credit union, my brother. It is a if bank. You're hip to, are you hip to credit unions? It is a bank. Yeah, you go and buy money? Yeah. Yeah, it's a bank. It's a bank. Owned by the people. Run for the people. And by the people. What will money be given out to people for? Well, the people would decide that. You want to buy, you know, whatever, you know, the people in the community decide. You need some living room furniture, maybe? You need a car, maybe? See, I got, the thing is with me, you dig, I I need to know some more about, I wish you had some more literature about the educational thing here. Because, you dig, as far as we're concerned in in the struggle, the way we look at struggle is that uh, this depends on the educational thing, you dig. Because mm-hmm. of this depends on the education. Well, the whole thing. No, but in the end, this does. You, you can form this with no education. You can uh, form this. this. No, not the way we're talking about forming it. You know, right. We're talking about forming it right. You know, it's not on the paper. We didn't write it on no, the paper. Form it right with no education. No. Let me give you an example. Uh, you, you, your Mo Kenyatta formed the excellent revolution with no education. And on the day of the end thing, your Mo told the motherfucker, I said, well, uh, you know, uh, you've been educated to uh, uh, hate the enemy, but uh, I'm your brother. I let you lead the revolution. Now I'm more pressure. 
Another example, Papa Doc in Haiti. Papa Doc in Haiti hated everything white. Man, you couldn't put this white paper in front of Papa Doc's face. But he moved all the white people out and he took over them to be yeah, oppressed. Yeah, he did, because of no education. Oh, yeah. And the people that had been educated, they just said that we don't hate the motherfucker. Uh -huh. White people, we hate the oppressor, whether he be white, black, brown, or yellow. So we got to know your educational program to find out what is going to be in the finale. A lot of people work. Yomo Kenyatta is called not a never a revolutionary, but an ex-revolutionary. So it's Papa Doc. They brought on a successful revolution. That thing in under my mind was a bitch. Bantu freedom fighters, all that kind of action. But what we're saying is, that it's the end. That you don't judge Castro now. You can't do it. Nobody in this room could judge whether Castro's going to be a revolutionary or not. Uh, you know what I mean? We're talking about things, you know what I mean, uh, with uh, China, the People's Republic, and even at the stage they're in now, talking about even going on further into a communistic state. That's what we're talking about. Those are revolutionary. So we got to understand here the educational program that you have to be able to figure out whether it will go on the right lines where the people will end up in a situation where they can be able to really control themselves. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, with no education, the people to take this local foundation and start stealing money because they won't be really educated to why it's the people's thing anyway. You understand know what I'm saying? With no education, you have neo-colonialism instead of colonialism, like you got in uh, Africa now, like you got in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Haiti. So what we're talking about is there has to be uh, an educational program. That's very important. As a matter of fact, we are so important for us that a person has to go through six weeks of our political education before he can consider himself a member of the party, able to even run down ideology for the party. Why? Because if they don't have an education, then they know where. You dig what I'm saying? They know where, because they don't even know why they're doing what they're doing. You, you might get people caught up in the emotionalist movement. Uh, you understand me? You might get them caught up in because they're poor and they want something. And then if they're not educated, they want more. And before you know it, they'll be capitalists. And before you know it, we'll have Negro imperialists. Real talk. Real talk. So basically, um, you got a 21-year-old brother like that. And Hoover was terrified of what he might do. And he was terrified of a number of people um, across the board. He was terrified of Elijah Muhammad. He was terrified of Malcolm, of course, of Martin, of course, uh, Kwame Ture. There were a number of figures, a number of figures. There's no question. There was an all-out assault on all forms of, of Black radical leadership in the 1960s and 70s, most particularly. But Hampton was was incredibly powerful. And so I do I do. I will say this. Um, you know, the, the film in itself treated Hampton with dignity. And I think a lot of that had to do with the cons the, cons the consulting they had from people who were actually there. Right. You walked away with a respect for Hampton and what uh, he was capable of, what could have happened had he lived. Uh, longer, or even even gotten out, gotten out the country. We know Eldridge Cleaver and others left the country uh, for a while. Of course, Asada Shakur. Some never came back. Uh, many died. You know, many were imprisoned for decades. But it, you know, had he been able to survive, even if it meant leaving, coming back at another point, you never know. You know, but the film itself, uh, I think, uh, you know, left you with with a respect for uh, what he was able to accomplish and his political acumen, his analysis, his critique. And, and even the way he, uh, you know, kind of broke situations down, he had an old soul. There's no way in the world that I would have just, you know, it, it, matter of fact, when it, when I was younger, appreciate that, Dardar. Um, when I was younger and I used to hear these clips of Hampton, never would have crossed my mind he was 21. And if you'd have hit me with that at 21, I just would have denied it. It's just, you know, but it, the brother was incredibly powerful. Uh, and, and to that extent, the film was done well. They spent a lot of time dealing with the Judas character. Uh, which was uh, basically the FBI informant uh, who was placed in the organization at the behest of the FBI, informing them on what's happening, 
you know, kind of, um, you know, uh, contributing to the breakdown of the Panther Party in Illinois at the time. And this was happening all over the country. Um, now, I will say I ran across a post in Facebook that came from uh, a brother who was a member of the party and, uh, and, and knew Hampton. I can't verify that. But, you know, based on what I read, um, I'm tempted to believe that he was telling the truth. And basically what he said was at that time, that, you know, there were things left out of the film. Uh, some of the, the situations going on with Hampton um, and some of the local gangs went a little differently. Uh, he said the, Pan the Panther Party was armed when they dealt with various gangs or whatnot. He pointed out a number of things. One of the things he also pointed out was that after um, they, you know, they did a documentary and they interviewed uh, the FBI informant. And they said on record that apparently a couple of days after the interview, he committed suicide. The gentleman in question, the gentleman I'm mentioning who put up a Facebook post, I put it on my page. Uh, you can go there and read it if you're on Facebook. He actually said he dressed up as a funeral director or at least a member of the staff of the, at the funeral parlor. And he went in to witness the body and he said it wasn't the FBI informant. Uh, so the, the argument there is that he probably went into witness protection. Um, which wouldn't surprise me, really, uh, if that had taken place. Um, but really, the legacy of COINTELPRO and the impact on Black activists is, has still not really been told, um, let alone to the degree it really needs to. So I think the film at, at least raises that question. But I would say the most impactful uh, part alongside the spirit of the film, right, uh, the way they, they showed Black men and women operating was uh, insightful. It was inspirational. It was beautiful in that respect. Um, but you know, the other imp important part is is the death of Fred Hampton and how that went down, how that it took place. I had read about it, but you know, whenever you see a film for the first time like this, like the very first time you saw Malcolm X, or the very first time you saw um, Birth of a Nation, the story of Nat Turner. You know, these are things you may have read about if you've been in the movement, but you just never expected to see on screen. And there is some emotional cachet to that. There is some power to that that I didn't expect. And that scene when he passed, I won't give too many details um, as far as that, because I really want people to, to you know, support the film. I'm not saying it's perfect, but it, it does, uh, I think, the legacy of Hampton justice. But to see uh, how he died and what went into that murder um, is definitely something that needs to be witnessed. So um, check it out. Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, again, not arguing that it's the perfect, uh, the best thing ever done, but I am saying that the legacy of Hampton needs to be um, on our minds, needs to be discussed, and I think the film does just that. Okay. Um, so, that said, let's go ahead and transition forward. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's, it's an emotional piece, I do have to say. Um, but anyway, uh, support the channel as usual. You know, I'm uh, going to zip through this a little faster than usual. Um, I want you to go ahead and check out the Institute for Black Male Studies. You can go to the website, www.instituteforblackmalestudies.com. Uh, you can purchase merchandise. You can purchase courses. Appreciate that smooth one. Uh, you can purchase a course that we have on there, an intro to Black Male Studies course. 16-week uh, course you can access. Um, so check into that. There are also a number of free interviews that you can check out on the site, as well as um, a three-part webinar that's already up. I will be doing another webinar in the next couple of days, so keep an eye out for that. Um, but nonetheless, support the Institute. But also, if you would, uh, also support 
um, you know, one of our brothers who is spearheading uh, the push for this. I told you to do Biden. Now we done lost a damn vote. We done lost a vote. That's gonna go to Trump. God damn. I mean, when you when you mention black people, you mentioning black women. So oh, don't count yourself no, out. That's not true. There we go. We're down for a minute. Looks like we have a little lag going on. I'm not sure what is happening. Uh, so you guys got to let me know if there's any trouble on your end. Uh, anyway, uh, support the film, the documentary uh, our brother Green Gorilla is making, the white people, the black people, uh, covering uh, really black men's uh, responses to a lot of the misandry that we've seen, be it institutional or um, you know, civil or, you know, interactional, uh, support the film. You can go to India, uh, Indy, uh, crowdfunding, Indiegogo, I think it is and support there. Um, please do so. We got 355 people watching, please like, share, and subscribe and yes, support the channel. I'm going to welcome in my partner here, uh, whom we, we are more than all familiar with. He, he's, he's somebody that's graciously, um, come to the show anytime I've asked him to. Um, I'm a fan. I enjoy his show. Uh, this is my good brother, BGS Idmore. Um, are you there, sir? Yes, I am, sir. What's good going on, Doc? You. Dr. Yeah. Truth is in the house. What's going on? <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, BGS did an excellent analysis of the latest BLS data, and he was kind enough to share it with me. And so I asked him if he would come up so we could kind of parse through it together and relate it to a couple other things that are going on um, and uh, go from there. Now, before we jump into that, though, I was hoping that uh, are you going to are you going to do a film review of the uh, Fred Hampton piece? Uh, I, I normally don't do film reviews, but uh, if the uh, professor says I should, I shall. Well, it, 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 we'd all love to hear your, your, your okay. insight on it. Yeah, because uh, not, not enough is really known about. Uh, Fred Hampton. We know the legends, and, and mm -hmm. most of the stuff we know about Fred Hampton is, is through legend, but right. we really don't know his story. Yeah. And I will say, you don't get like his story from childhood. You know what I mean? It, it doesn't. They don't quite do it that way. You you come in seeing him active in the Panther Party, uh, but it, I think it's still an important story. And, yes, uh, and I think it's worth uh, supporting. Right. So. Um, now, I don't know if you had a chance to see this, and I wanted to kick it off with this because I thought that this would be uh, really a good way to start a discussion mm -hmm. about the BLS data. Um, let me pull it up here. This is a piece, again, you know, I post a lot of this stuff I do post on Facebook uh, just to kind of get my bearings um, about it. But let me see. I'm going to bring this up a little bit. Uh, okay. All right. So th this is a piece that uh, is a few years old. 
mm-hmm. you can find it on the uh, slate.com site and it's entitled, it's not your kids holding your career back. It's your husband. It's not your career, your kids holding your career back. It's your husband. Okay. Uh, so I think we lost BGS for a second, but here we go. Yeah. Let me bring him back in. All right. You, you good? Yeah, good. Okay. And it just, Jamal says they need to speak up a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. All right. Sound okay, people? I never notice stuff till it's already going on. Yeah, that's true. Um, all right. So it's called, it's not your, your kids holding your career back. It's your husband. Uh, shout out to my boys, Cameron and Mick. They got me some additional information for this piece. Um, mm-hmm. Afro analysis. Appreciate the support. Right. And this is, uh, as you can see, uh, Xerox CEO, Ursula Burns. Um, and she says her secret to success was uh, marry uh, someone who will take care of the kids. And the reason I, I post her here is this is the, right. the, the post they used uh, to, to represent the article. So you're, you know, just looking at this, reading the title, it looks like it's a black woman led article, you know, arguing for, you know, uh, you know, black men to serve as house husbands. But it's actually not. It's written by several. Uh, it was written by a white woman, referenced right. several other white women. Yes. Uh, but they use her as the face of it. Mm, um, OK. But I, I did want to read a portion before I delve into the article. I want to read a portion that pertains to her so we can get a little more context for what she was actually saying. So in, in this, she says, based on these numbers, Hirschman suddenly seems to. Uh, oh, all right. Appreciate the support. Uh, D.E. Uh, let me see. It says, take a look at the current crop of female CEOs. A lot of them have husbands who don't work. Xerox CEO Ursula Burns took a page out of Hirschman's book and joked at a 2013 conference the secret to success is marrying someone 20 years older. Her husband retired as she was hitting her career stride, allowing uh-huh. him to take primary responsibility for their kids. If, if becoming a CEO and having a family is what you desire, you might want to take that advice. So before we delve into it, I just wanted to kind of contextualize that the face of this article uh, is a black woman. Right. She's actually not just saying have a house husband. She's talking about, you know, a retired uh, gentlemen, so it's slightly different than what we would probably walk away with. No, right. appreciate the support. Um, well, the article itself says starts with almost a decade ago, writer Linda Hirschman exhorted ambitious women to marry men with less money or social capital than they had. Right. In articles and her book Get to Work. She told women that they should avoid ever taking on more than half of the housework or childcare. How to do it? Either a man. Either marry a man who is extremely committed to equality, appreciate that, Douglas, um, or do what she says is the easier route and marry down. Mm-hmm. First, explain in American Prospect that such a choice is not brutally strategic. Uh, it's just smart. If you're devoted to your career goals and would like a man who will support that, you're just doing what men throughout the ages have done, placing a safe bet. So yet again, this feminist narrative uh, uses men as a standard and tries to replicate that for women. Uh, but this was a highly controversial piece of advice at the time, but Hirschman might have been right. A new study uh, of Harvard Business School graduates from HBS's Robin Ellie and Colleen Ammerman and Hunter College sociologist Pamela Stone shows that high achieving women are not meeting the career goals they set for themselves in their 20s. It's not because they're opting out of the workforce when they have kids, but because they're allowing their partners' careers to take precedence over their own. 
The study authors interviewed 25,000 men and women who graduated from Harvard, Harvard Business School over the past several decades. The male graduates were much more likely to be senior management and uh, have more responsibility and more direct reports than their female peers. But why? It's not because women are leaving the workforce en masse. The authors found definitively that the opt-out explanation is a myth. Among Gen X and baby boomers they surveyed, only 11% of women left the workforce to become full-time moms. That figure is lower for women of color. Only 7% stopped working. The vast majority, 74% of Gen Xers, women who are currently 32 to 48 years old and in the prime of their child-rearing years, work full-time an average of 52 hours a week. While these women are still working, they are also uh, more unexpected sacrifices. They're making more unexpected sacrifices than their male classmates. Uh, when they graduated, more than half the male HBS grads said they expected their careers would take precedence over their partners. Only 7% of Gen X women and 3% of baby boomer women said they expected their careers to take precedent. Here's what they did expect. The majority of women said they assumed they would have egalitarian marriages in which both spouses' careers were taken equally serious. Uh, a lot of the women were wrong. About 40% of Gen X and baby boomer women said their spouses' careers took priority, while only about 20% of them had planned on their careers taking a back seat. Uh, compare that with the men. More than 70% uh, of Gen X and boomer men said their careers are more important than their wives. When you look at childcare responsibilities, the numbers are starker. Full 86% of Gen X and boomer men said their wives take primary res uh, responsibility for childcare, and the women agree. 65% of Gen X women and 72% of Boomer women, all HBS grads, most of them who work, say they're the ones who do most of the childcare in their relationships. Of course, marital arrangements aren't the only force holding women back. Part of the reason these women aren't advancing at the same rate as their male counterparts is that after they have kids, they get mommy tracked. In many ways, they, uh, they're not considered management candidates anymore. They may have been stigmatized for taking advantage of flex options or reduced schedules passed over for high-profile assignments or removed from projects they once led. Uh, other studies support these findings as they have shown that there is a real substantial motherhood penalty that involves lower pay and fewer uh, promotions for women with kids because employers assume they will be less dedicated to their jobs as we now know their husbands. So now just to be clear, these are the women involved in, uh, you know, Basically, the, the, the yeah, dad, right? yeah. These are the women. So it's interesting that you see this black woman's face mm -hmm. uh, on the article, and yet these are the women behind it. And of course, uh, this is the author herself. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, making makes sense. She's a well, she's a third wave feminist, but yeah, mm -hmm. the other ones are second wave feminists. And this is this is their holy grail all along, which they call the the policy of equity. I'm sure you've heard that term you know your whole career uh and uh i do believe it was um i can't remember which author it was that it it, it, it might have been um it might have been the book the richer sex by liz monday but in 2012 they achieved what they call equity uh which is a, a third of, of a third of the women were breadwinners a third of the families had uh had had uh, a basically equal a partner sharing as far as income and in a third of the families had men as breadwinners so that's what they call perfect equity in their mind but the problem is is that um women really don't want to be breadwinners and that's that's the issue and that so so the numbers reflect not only the uh 
the reality the reality what's going on not as not only as far as the men are concerned but also as far as the women are concerned uh when because uh, we we hear it all the time when the women get in there their 30s and in the mid 30s even their 40s their children do take precedence mm-hmm. and uh and they haven't been socialized or properly socialized to take that role to leave the um the the uh household duties to the to the father or mm-hmm. to the to the mate or even marry down because uh you especially in the black community what you know what's the big mantra we don't want to marry down Mm-hmm. We don't we don't we want a man on our level, especially women that are what I call 92s or corporate and above. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what is it? Everybody wants a high value man. But they but the thing is, is that some women, you know, um, want uh, some some women don't want what comes along with that, uh, what they were promised as far as feminists. I said they want a man's role, but they don't want a man's responsibility. Mm-hmm. Well, and then the other argument that one can raise with this particular study is you know how much of black america is living like uh harvard business grads <laughs> and it, it, the reality you know the reality we've seen you know really since like three know, like 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 less than less than three percent maybe less than that i mean look at the end of the day it, both it, even before the second wave feminist movement to include uh, mm-hmm. Middle class women and women into the workforce. You know, right. Black women worked. It, it, the black family, for the most part, both parents had to work, and that's been right. consistent reality for both. And yeah. we're talking about, especially when you talk about the, the 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 great migration up north from the south that many black folk engaged in, uh, leading up to World War II and and a little beyond. Uh, you know, looking for more stable jobs, looking to get away from sharecropping. Um, you know, it's it's, it's an entirely different narrative than what these white women are, are outlining in this piece. And, and just by using this particular black woman's face, suggesting is the case across race is, is, is highly problematic uh, already just out the gate. Right. You know, um, but you know, I, at the end of the day, this still, end, I think ended up having an impact uh, because one of the things that we've, many black men have reported hearing, especially since the 1980s, has been a mantra, you know. It's it's almost a religious mantra mm-hmm. about what men are expected to have. Right. And interestingly enough, you know, I, I actually don't hear as much about women saying I want parity from black men. They want black men beyond them. Mm-hmm. You know, superiority. Yeah. Yeah, and this is one of the things that B. Simone got you know slammed for. As weird as that child is, I, yeah. but you know she got slammed for because she her point was you're asking for something that you don't bring to the table. Right. And I think that's what we've we've heard a lot of. So we're all familiar with uh, the the six six nine paradigm, right? Mm-hmm. You, you know, six foot tall, uh, six pack abs, nine inch. You know, yeah, penis, John. Yeah. You know, all of these kind of narratives, but they're rooted around this idea that we've now, on you know, YouTube started to refer to as high value. Mm-hmm. Right. These narratives about high value have never had anything to do with the the women's status even though the women are the ones asking for it. It's never mm-hmm. been a, a question of whether or not she necessarily had to be high value. It was just basically an assumption that she was high value enough simply because she existed. Right. But what she was, what she deserved was, you know, a, a man that, that, you know, represents a certain demographic and you and I are going to delve into the numbers as far as, you know, just how many of these men there are, where what men are actually looking like and what our lives in regard to income actually looks like in contrast 
to the very women in question. Um, so it, it, now, let me see. Hold on. Uh, I think I can do it. Let me see. I think I can do it this way here. Let me. I set some things up that I haven't used in a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got to thank BGS for this. He recommended that uh, I pick up some equipment that would help me in this. And uh, and it has. So thank you for that. Um, let me see. Yeah. Man, there we go. Okay. So, yeah, it's still going to be kind of hard to see. I think I might actually have to make it full screen for a minute. And I know you wanted to share your screen, too. So just let me know. Oh, well, if if you want yeah. me to, um, I don't necessarily have to, but uh... oh, of course, of course, you know we got to do that, man. I mean, you know, we got to we got to get the full on uh, VBS effect <laughs> here. You know? But uh, so just to let people know uh, what we're actually looking at, I'm trying to get this thing to get as large as possible, but it only let me take it there. Mm-hmm. Um, there we go. Let me see. Let's zoom in a little bit. All right. So what we're looking at here is the new release, Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, U.S. Department uh, of Labor, right? This came out January 21st, 2021. So uh, fresh out of the kitchen, as it were. Mm -hmm. Uh, Usual weekly earnings of wage and salary workers, fourth quarter, Mm -hmm. 2020. Mm -hmm. I've said this before, 2020 data is slow coming, obviously, because it's, you know, still very early in 2021, but it's going to be a very key year to look at how the pandemic economy has right. impacted, especially the black community. Yeah. Uh, because one of the things we've heard since really March was that, you know, half of black America lost employment. Uh, there've been a lot of questions as to the nature of some of the employment. Some people have gotten back. Uh, there's still obviously people who haven't been employed since many people waiting on stimulus checks. Um, so all kinds of questions about where black America actually is. Uh, we know automation has been having an impact. If you would talk a little bit about where automation is right now and what black families are dealing with. Yeah. Uh, It's, um, um, it's, it's a slow, it's a slow grind as, as far as, uh, uh, especially in the service sector and some of the jobs that we've had, um, is that, uh, automation and AI systems are slowly taking those away. Sales jobs, uh, clerk jobs, uh, some sometimes even government jobs. Um, so it's hitting it's hitting the top and the bottom. Right now, it's mostly hitting the top because that's the easy because we are in a service economy. So where are the most of the jobs service? So uh, even even like retail, where where you have uh, you don't have people actually um, not only uh, cashiers where you have self checkout, but also right. they have apps. To where you don't need as many people, service people helping people to find stuff like in, in a Home Depot or in a store or something like that. You have an app that can actually tell you exactly what aisle and what bay your item is actually on just by searching for it. So all these all these things are starting to slowly but surely, you know, shed workers. But it's so key that you said that because I, mm-hmm. I was just at Home Depot earlier today and mm-hmm. I noticed that very thing. Right. No. Yeah. In fact, there wasn't one cashier. Right. Not yeah. one. And I've reported in the last few weeks, you know, large chain stores like Walmart and Kroger's are testing out, you know, uh, cashierless stores. And so, you know, we can definitely see more of this on the horizon. So automation is definitely having an impact. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it, 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 We're just starting to see. The thing is, it, it's actually starting to do. COVID has actually started to uh, speed things up um, as far as uh, automation because there's systems that they were reluctant to try because, well, there was a cost, you know, a, a cost benefit ratio and some things they didn't know whether they would work out. So they were reluctant to actually try them. But COVID forced them to try them because they needed to get people separated and out of the office and stuff like that. So now you have people that are doing more remote, remote work. And uh, mm-hmm. so they don't need people like uh, people cleaning up office buildings and servicing office buildings, and that's those are normally male jobs, mm-hmm. maintenance, uh, maintenance in schools and stuff like that. That those are normally male jobs because the kids are not in class. So there's a lot of things, uh, a, a lot of jobs that will be impacted on both sides of the of, of the of the aisle. But it's mostly right now. It's mostly women because women are definitely uh, involved more in the service sector than men are. Men can always go into a warehouse or drive a truck or something like that. So uh, most of the jobs that have been regained are, are mostly men. Most of the jobs that have been lost are women. Now, what do you, what do you see when we, cause you and I have talked about this a number of times, the, mm-hmm. the kind of programs, like I pointed out from Google, yeah. that, you know, they're going to educate a hundred thousand black women. What do you see as the long-term potential impact of that kind of structure. Well, the thing is, the, the thing is, is that one, you're not helping the the people that need help most, which are the men, which are the males. You know, the uh, I think we talked about this. Uh, the, the the good part is, is that men are, men don't make up a big middle. Men make, you know, most of the people on the downside that are unemployed, homeless, and whatnot are going to be men. On the upside, the most of the people that are going to make a lot of money, you know. Have more advanced skills, better jobs, make more money. Are men? Men, women are mostly in the middle. And the thing is, is that uh, uh, there's plenty of programs out there to help girls and females. But the thing is, who needs the jobs most, and who are more qualified and most as far as aptitude to do the job, which are men. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about a, an environment, especially in the black community, where right. we know that black girls are graduating. And higher numbers than black boys from high school. They're going to college in greater numbers. Right. I haven't seen the data yet on on how much 2020 impacted that dynamic. But yeah. we know as of a couple of years ago, uh, black women were the highest enrolled demographic in higher education. Right. So when I see these articles pointing out the vulnerability of women in the market, it's not that I just immediately dismiss them or anything. But to me, it, it it's kind of it, it's built on a structure that has already ignored black men. And so right. I think we have an erroneous kind of idea about where black men are. Cause you see these, these, these articles, like ones I looked at that say things like well, women are suffering in the job market. And the implication is that men are balling, but they're not qualifying which men they're talking about. Right. So we just walk away with this perception that, you know, men across the board are doing well, women are struggling and we have this patriarchal heartless economy that only prioritizes men. When, especially when you deal with the black community, you have to take different things into account. Yeah. Like, like the story you posted earlier about the young man uh, freezing in his car. You don't, you have, haven't heard about any woman freezing in her car, freezing Uh-oh. to death in her car. Oh, you know, and you've heard several stories about black men freezing in their cars during, uh, during the uh, COVID crisis. This is not the first time. Most of the most, though, most of those bodies you saw, uh, in the uh, buried in an island in New York during uh, the first part of the COVID crisis were black men, black homeless men that were on the streets of New York, falling dead. But nobody, nobody talked about that. Well, tell me, 
did any any article or news report you saw even title it that way? No, they never did. You would you would you would see it. You would see it like you know how it's how they bury you know they bury the lead. You know, they, yeah. they bury that information. It's like it's like all the way close to the end, and they talk about the um, the percentages of uh, who was homeless and the percentage of people who were dying on the street. That's when you would see it. Right. Right. Well, um, you know, thankfully, that's why uh, we have a couple of brothers uh, that I know that can get up here and break some of this down because it's not being done by those who are paid to do this. Um, And so I think many of us have really a problematic kind of perspective on things, um, you know, as far as where where things actually are. And this is why I mean, YouTube is playing a very interesting role because one of the things I'm seeing in the last few weeks, Mm -hmm. this even goes back to B. Simone is how many women are for the first time starting to understand where black men actually are. Yes. I'm about the first time in decades. In decades, um, yeah. 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 yeah because because, because, the, the, because the government support is sketchy, okay? Because, you know, they can't continually pump to pump $10 trillion to help people out, okay? Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, uh, if you exclude the market, they pump $5 trillion into putting up a floor under what was going on as far as the economy is concerned in, in, in saving people's butts. Uh, they're still uh, having moratoriums on rent, you know, on on, on evictions. OK, mm-hmm. there's there's up to like 20 million women that could be evicted as soon as this moratorium is over. In fact, there's cases where women are getting evicted even, you know, even against the moratorium, even even in spite of the moratorium. Okay, women know that sooner or later this is going to come to an end. The thing is, is that uh, I was trying to explain to a brother, a young brother, a few weeks ago, that during the crack era, when when a lot of men went to jail, there was a lot of black men that stepped up and became stepfathers mm-hmm. and put a floor under these women and kept them off the street, kept yeah. these women. Get these women and men and women, uh, these women and children off the street. Okay, mm-hmm. okay. Now you know, thirty years later, there are no men to put a floor into these women anymore, mm. because they because these 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 men don't have the jobs and don't have the education, don't have the capability to save these women anymore. And now that these women are coming looking for these guys, they're not there. Well, and the other thing too is we're talking about several decades of propaganda. That's mm-hmm. really been trained on telling, you know, women in particular that uh, you don't need a man. Yeah. And, and we've seen the internalization of those ideas in the black community way more than any other. I would argue it, it, it's been so deeply internalized that that, uh, you know, yeah. that you have many women that are actually struggling that, you know, it, when they have finally made that turn. Yeah. And said, OK, I need to I need a, a partner. I need a man. I need whatever. Yeah. Um, have a hard time. And this is something we see, you know, routinely on Kevin Samuel's show mm-hmm. can't even articulate what the men they want actually value. Yeah. They, they, they don't have a sensibility for it because they've never been trained and they've never been taught that, you know, that you even was, need to be concerned. Yeah. It was never important, but men were built to serve. It, men, it's, were built to serve. men are always discussed. Well, we've seen it for the last 30 years, black men, especially are always, talked about in a sense of what they can do for black women and, and, and children. Right. Never about what they need, never about what they are intrinsically. They never talk about black men intrinsically or what they need or their needs. It's always what can they do to serve us, even to the point where when a black woman gets hit, okay, where are the black men to protect us? Okay. Well, there it is. 
and 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 for men i think men are reaching a point that they we've never really seen on this mass kind of public level where men are asking the question if you remove sex from the equation Mm -hmm. what exactly do men get out of relationships and even marriages in 2021 that make it worthwhile and i'm not saying people shouldn't get married or shouldn't be in relationships but i am saying men are finally asking those questions and the women they're asking don't have a response yeah and what what happens when the price of sex goes to zero yeah and then that it came pretty close during the crack year i've seen it because that was in that was grounds you know i'm in uh 20 years old in uh los angeles during the beginning of the crack era i saw what happens when sex goes near zero it's not valued anymore and then women have women have to come with other things other than just sex they can't rely on that anymore because that's 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 readily available and that's you know that's almost starting to happen now look at look at only fans where you know uh it's it's better to if you could it's better to go out and get a minimum wage job than be on only fans because you can't sell sex anymore oh well, let's let's go ahead and delve into this, and 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 I'm gonna uh, I want to get your perspective on where the best place to start might be. Um, uh, for those of you looking at this, uh, you know, much of this is gonna deal with uh, weekly earnings. Uh, but go ahead. What, what did you want to say? The, the 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 biggest thing the the, the biggest thing is that um, um, the, you gotta you gotta remember that the the BLS talks about. Full, you know, a lot of times in this article they talk about full-time workers. Okay, mm-hmm. full-time working. What I like about what the BLS did, they give you the number of workers mm-hmm. that, that were actually involved in this set of of people. Okay, right. and and when when I did my video, I actually said you have to compare that with the the total number of adult black males. Okay. Uh, the number of adult black males is, is roughly around between 16 and 17 million adult black males. Okay. Uh, 25% of, of males are actually under 18 years old, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the United States between 24 and 25%. So you have to subtract those out. So we're talking about the, the, the a set of, a, of adult black males in this you know, we'll see later on of, of the amount of b- adult black males that they talk about in this particular set. So all these numbers, all these stats have to be compared against uh, of all the black males. Uh, and I think I showed a clip in from uh, from black demographics. They always look at the average uh, salary of a black male, but they always forget the, the little line that's beneath it. It says 41 percent of of. Uh, black males in 2018 had no registered income. They they never show that. Right, and that, and, and and these kind of reports also don't uh, really account for incarceration. Uh, no, we know going in that uh, black men, when you account for incarceration, actually make 51 cents on the dollar, where black women tend to make, I think it was like 63 cents. Uh, mm-hmm. When you don't account for incarceration, I think black men are 67, 68 cents, but. 51 cents on the dollar when you account for incarceration. So you know, these reports don't necessarily kind of take that into account. So it's, as you said earlier, overall, black men are are doing better and doing worse at the same yes. time. Um, but, but I wanted to start just with what's on this first page. If you see this bottom paragraph, mm. it's accounting for uh, race and ethnicity groups in regard to median weekly earnings. Um, and it, it, it characterizes each group. And you can see, you know, where the money is and where it isn't. You know, so it says for blacks, it's $792, Hispanics, 742, 
Uh, working full-time jobs were lower than those of whites at 1,007, and you can go on from there, Asians, 1,261. But when you get it by sex, right, median weekly earnings for black men is 810, yeah. right, or 73.1% of the median for white men. Median earnings for Hispanic uh, men were 769. Uh, and then it goes, the difference was less among women as black women's media earnings were, uh, median earnings were 775. So right out the gate, I wanted to point this out because again, we've been fed this narrative, especially if you were Generation X, that black men were trifling, black mm-hmm. men were incapable. And one of the things I've heard, you know, in the last 20 years, or well, 20, really 20, I'd say 26, 27 years, is that black women can't find black men that can offer them parity. Right. Uh, I mean, that they, they, they live a similar lifestyle, have a similar level of income. They're just, the, black men just don't do it. They can't do it. And it got so bad for me in the 90s in terms of dating that I actually used to call it, uh, they had an insert man here dynamic right. where every mm-hmm. woman I went on a date with would basically say, look, I don't expect you to make what I'm making. I'm just going to assume you don't. Mm-hmm. So what I need you to do is be quiet uh, put on a suit, smile, and fit into my life here. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So it was a kind of an insert man here dynamic. But according to what we're seeing just on the first page mm-hmm. is that black men are not only, you know, not doing uh, on par with many black women, but they're, they're actually beyond. So mm-hmm. uh, just, a, just a, just a teaser. But uh, so let me, let me go down here and we'll get to, the actual charts. And like I said, if you haven't seen BGS's video, it came out, what, uh, two or three days ago? Yeah. Where you reviewed this excellent video. If you haven't had a chance to uh, check it out, I suggest you go to BGS Ibmore on YouTube and look for it. Um, is there any particular chart you prefer to start with? Um, I I just started uh, with the, uh, I mean, all, all, all this stuff is gold. The thing is, I started with the, uh, it was just the, the the first chart where they did it by sex and race. Okay. And so and, be... and pay particular attention to the to the number of men, you know. Yeah. Number number one is say if you look at the uh black or African American and you look at the at the, at the totals, let's say look just look at the totals. We lost over a million workers uh between um fourth quarter twenty nineteen and the fourth quarter twenty twenty. Okay, so in 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 the middle was actually worse. We gained some of those back, but we we lost over a million uh, full time workers so just about, in a year. Uh, see right at see right at the top. Okay. See right there. See we we had fifteen. Uh, well, it was oh, we, this is in thousand. We had fifteen million four hundred sixty three thousand mm-hmm. uh, in twenty nineteen, and we we're down to fourteen million two hundred, and I think it's ninety eight thousand. So we lost uh-huh. over a million workers in, that are yeah. full time. Yeah. Just in a year. But and this it, down by race and gender. So that's yeah. the beauty yeah. of this. Yeah. Yeah. The thing is, we, we lost, I think well, the women lost a bit more because I, I think they had a bit more, a, a bit more uh, workers. Mm-hmm. Um, as you can see, the disparity between the number of, of full time black male workers versus uh, uh, female workers. So there are more women working. Mm-hmm. Even though we make more, there are more women working. Well, but the thing I'm, is, go ahead. I'm not the natural mathematician that uh, my brother is, <laughs> but uh, you know, so black men from 2019 to 2020 went from seven million three hundred ninety-one, okay. right, to six million seven hundred eighty-five. Well, it's about uh, five hundred thousand uh, full-time workers. And black women went from eight million seven seventy-two to uh, seven million five hundred thirteen. 
Yeah, they 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 lost a little a bit more, but let's see, they had lost a, a little bit more than half a million workers. Yeah, but it, it but what I'm getting at is when you when you go back to the articles I I brought up earlier, right? It only talked about the number of women that were left. Do you see right. a huge disparity between no. black men and women lost in the economy? No, no, it's it, it's, it's it's equal. It's it's relatively equal, and we're still not accounting for incarceration. We're not accounting for homelessness. We're not yeah. accounting for unemployment. You know these things that were dramatically. Uh, you know, impacting black men again before yeah. the yeah. pandemic. Yeah, and and, and there was, <laughs> I think, uh, Black Uru said something earlier on on a stream. He says when uh, 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 when black women lose the job, they get Section Eight and vouchers, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, black men lose the job, they get a spot under the bridge. There it is. There it is. Absolutely. Um, there was actually an article that I, I pulled out that I, I was going to do in my uh, and earlier in the show, and I took it out uh, for time. But it was actually an article dealing with a, a black woman who was pregnant and was uh, was killed. You yeah. know, and uh, basically what 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 happened was it was a uh, she had a drug habit. Mm-hmm. You know, she was killed and put into a suitcase. Oh, but wow. okay. Her yeah. boyfriend, um, he was a black male who was very supportive, loving. They basically were living under a bridge. You know, that was the, the that, that was the state. They were both living together under a bridge, but she had a drug habit. But the part of the story, aside from the shock and awe of her being killed and placed into a, uh, a suitcase, which is horrendous. The other kind of subtle part of the story that I think you, you kind of miss when you hear that is that they were already living under a bridge. Wow. They were already okay. homeless. They were already broke, but they were homeless together. Okay. So it wasn't that she was in you know one position, he was in another per se. It really was exactly what we're looking at in this chart so far. Yeah. But go ahead. So so um, you know, we can look at uh what they were earning in current dollars, mm-hmm. and we can see the differences between black men and women, uh, just you know, right here. In the uh in uh the in 2019 yeah. and in, in 2020, what are we seeing? You know, how yeah. would you how would you assess this? Uh, it, like I said, you you have uh, uh, the 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 amount of money that you earn has gone up. The thing is, that's juxtaposed to the workers that you lost. So yeah, you have uh, both black men and women uh, uh, basically gaining equally. But the thing is, they lost you know both lost uh, workers. So yeah. that's what you're seeing there. Yeah, absolutely. So you're making more money, but you got less people working. So I don't know if that's a push or not. Right. And black men, um, you know, in regard to this whole, you know, issue about parity, mm-hmm. um, even in terms of um, full time wage salary workers, uh, you know, not seasonally adjusted, we're seeing that they don't quite seem to be as uh, horrible as we've heard. No, <laughs> not, cl- not even close. When when black when black men can get into the system, can can crack through the system, they actually do are actually more successful than black women are. And and, and I would argue that it, part of the reason for that, for better or for worse, it's not always good necessarily, but mm-hmm. I would say for better or for worse, black men don't generally expect help. Uh, we, we don't get it and we don't tend to expect it. Yeah. Uh, it's not, yeah. it's not an, an assumption on our part. Well, because we know for 200 years, it ain't coming. It ain't coming. So, so when we hit the pandemic and, and programs started to be rolled out, I mean, again, I saw programs targeted at black women drummers, hmm. black women photographers, 
You know, I'm like, I'm seeing all of these programs coming out. Yeah. I have yet to see one targeted at black men and I haven't seen a number of black men frustrated about it either. Uh, like I said, you have, you have black female code camps, you know, mm-hmm. for the last 10 years, you've had a black, black girl code camps. I've yet to see a black boy code camp. Mm. I have yet to see a black, a black male color of color code camp. Mm. Mm. I haven't seen one yet. I haven't seen one yet. So but, here, but, Google, but Google can throw, you know, a uh, yes. hundred million dollars into black females to help right. them get into tech. Okay. But I think the thing that, that really gets at many of us more is that, you know, with this highly educated cadre representing the black community, mm-hmm. there's no outcry about how much the men are getting. And, and don't just think about it in terms of, 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 you know, women that you would date. I think you can even look at it in terms of mothers and sons. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this before on my show, you know, with black boys, the reading level uh, from K through 12, you know, we're talking about, you know, 10 to 12% from math to from reading to math to science, 10 to 12% of black boys at grade level by eighth grade, no outcry. So then when you fast forward to adult labor and we start to see these programs being rolled out to support uh, folk, no outcry about how much, the men and young men coming into the workforce aren't getting most particularly from the most educated demographic or from the most highly enrolled demographic in higher education, no outcry whatsoever. The outcry, mm. if anything is toward the men, there's not enough of you to offer parity, but no outcry to the same systems that advance women. Right. And do so at men's expense, no outcry on men's behalf. Even if you, it was just about you being able to find a partner or you being able to have your son stable in a career. No outcry. Am I the only one seeing that? No, you're not. You're not. I just find it interesting. My bad. Well, um, table three, median usual usual weekly earnings, uh, full-time wage and salary workers by age, race, uh, Hispanic or Latino ethnicity and sex. Fourth quarter, 2020 averages, not seasonally adjusted right and and there are differences you know in terms of seasonal work that has an impact on the economy mm-hmm. uh, but i think you broke down this section too in in your analysis what what were your observations well, the, the, the interesting thing is look look uh when you look at age and sex look at the difference uh look at the difference of of, of earnings um at 55 years and older for men okay Okay. It's it, it's 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 basically um, it, it's it's basically the, the the men that make the most are basically fifty five years and older, mm-hmm. and, uh, and and the, the, and the thing is is that um, and I also look at the number of um, of the ages of, uh, of of look at the number of of the uh, marriageable age men between twenty five and twenty four. Look how small that number is. It's all, it's less it's less than five million, as far as full time earnings. Mm. Even though they make more money, look look at look at the uh, you know look look at the number of them. There's only five million of them. Yeah, yeah. Just suppose five million. Just suppose five million women in the same camp. But even even then, there's not as big a shortage, you know, because black women say there's there's such a huge shortage of men, even the you know, you know, of men on their level. If you look at it, not really. 
Okay, it's even mm-hmm. though there's a gap, but it's not that big of a gap. It's not as dramatic as we. But well, that's part of the propaganda I was talking about. If you mm-hmm. just listen to you know what we've heard in songs and movies and on countless talk shows, mm-hmm. the the disparity between working black men and women in terms of numbers is now. I mean, I'm not saying that that the numbers are as great as they could be. We know black men are unemployed at much higher rates than other groups, um, but at the same time. You know, it's not as dramatic between black men and women as black many black no. women have claimed. No, no. When they say there's no black men out there, uh, if, if, you know, five hundred, you know, five hundred thousand is significant. But the thing is, it's still, it's not, it's not, it's not like there's nobody out there. It's not that. It's like the, there's no black men that are at the at their. You know, we're talking about at a, at a, at a middle class level. You know, uh, we talk about um, eight hundred and ten. You talk about forty, fifty thousand dollars a year. That's 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 uh, basically solidly in the middle class. And there are men out there. Even when you talk about women, men that earn uh, in, uh, in like in the top ten percent, okay, the numbers are basically equal. In fact, I would say there's probably more uh, workers in the top ten percent uh, men that earn in the top ten percent. Um, uh, then probably women. I you know I, I can't remember the numbers because I you know I didn't look for it. But I would say that um, there's plenty of men, black men, on a black women's level. Mm-hmm. The only the difference is is that black men don't marry uh, according to income. Right. That's not that's not a priority for us. Not a priority for um, us. But let's let's continue because I, I will I do have a question for you that speaks mm-hmm. to that very issue about mm-hmm. coupling uh, based on what we've heard. So let me I'm going to keep. Let me see. So uh, we can look at this one here. Um, I mean, you know, if you, it, it, this is, it's not one. All right. So quart, uh, quartiles and selected deciles of usual weekly earnings, mm-hmm. full-time wage and salary workers by selected characteristics, right? Uh, not seasonally adjusted. Um, what are we seeing? Right. Okay. Um, if, if you look at, um, I focused on the men, but yeah. uh, that's, uh, that's why I highlight, highlighted it for the audience. <laughs> okay. Highlights for the men. So the black men. So we I mean, the, the women are relatively close. They're within like maybe 10% of, of whatever you see up here. Uh, the, you got to remember this. Look at look at the look at the number of, of workers. OK. OK. You have uh, 35 million adults, uh, adult black people. OK. We're only talking about half of those people. So anytime we, we look at these numbers, we're only, we only talk about uh, half or even sometimes less than half of the total adult population. Yeah. Okay. So we got to remember 15, that. 15 million people right here. Yeah. We're talking about 50, we're talking about 15 million people. And these, yeah. these are the people with, with that are, have recorded wages with the BLS. Okay. Recorded wages with the BLS. Right. So this is, this is, these are, this is their data. So, we, so a lot of times when we look at these numbers, we take the numbers as is, and we we don't look at what percentage of people or subset of people they're actually talking about. But if you look at this, um, uh, the, the, the bottom 10%, according to this, make about $15,000 a year. Which is which is about uh, which is less than minimum wage. Well, which is about minimum wage, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't think they give you a number. They just give you wages. I don't think they no. They didn't break it down in numbers, um, right? But right. they just they just they just so so when you see that, and we've seen that the uh, uh, the first quartile, which is I think is five eighty six. I think that's like thirty thousand dollars a year. And then uh, 
the second quartile, which is the median, which is the one Devonta median that we always talk about, is something that Kevin talks about. That's forty-two thousand dollars a year, right? About forty-one, forty-two thousand dollars, which is the A10, uh, the median. But the thing is, it's a median of half of all adult black people, mm-hmm. right? Right. And then, and then you get the the uh, the third quartile that he was talking about, the uh, the top twenty-five percent. I think that was like. I think I estimated like $65,000 a year. And then the top 10%, which is the high value earners, right? That we talk about that starts at like 95,000. Okay. And we're looking at roughly what, uh, 700,000 uh, difference in the number of workers between black men and women. Uh, okay. Yeah, roughly. Roughly. Well, eight, right, 800,000. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, so let me see. All right. So let's continue. Um, I mean, if you, and if there's anything you want me to stop on, let me know. Or if you want to share your screen, you know, so um, I just kind of pre-highlighted a few areas I thought we could jump into. Now, this is weekly earnings of part-time wage, mm-hmm. right? uh, not seasonally adjusted. Right. And so what are we looking at? Um, oh, the thing is, is the interesting thing is, is that uh, when you, um, when you when you add when you add these numbers in right um mm-hmm. uh because of the, the the previous slide was adding all workers okay these are the this is the number of people that um that don't show up as far as full time okay mm-hmm. these are the people that are um uh that that that, are, that don't get listed all the time as far as averages are concerned mm-hmm. right it, and uh, it, so when you look, so I think they're talking about number, a number of workers, like almost a million uh, for the men. And, and look at look at it's it's double, which is See interesting. That? It's almost double when we talk about part time workers for women. A lot of women are part time workers, right? So a lot we, more women are part time workers. But and and when we look at again, you know, mm-hmm. the number of people out of work, the number of people losing jobs. Obviously, right. that includes part time workers. But when you look at the difference between 2019 and 2020, I've I've not seen one article about black men, especially, you know, even in this context, black male part-time workers. Look at this. Yeah. As you said, it's almost double. Yeah. And no conversation about it. Yeah. And and basically, if you look at it, black, now when they talk about the she session, they're talking about white women. Okay. Right. Uh, Right. uh, Black men and women, if you look at it, consistently lose about the same amount of jobs they right. go up and down together so there is no there's, there's not this big disparity right that they that they trumpet so they don't trumpet how many black men have lost jobs it's always black women that have lost jobs or homes or whatever but black men don't get the same kind of highlight but but what's curious to me too is when we look at the actual earnings especially in 2020 mm-hmm. uh you know in the far column what do we see Look at that. Now it's interesting. So from 2019, you know, it was mm-hmm. only a, a very small difference, a, a dollar. Yeah. But then when we pop over to 2020, so so we went from full time to part time. Right. We're seeing a similar pattern. You know, yeah. men are doing better, and of course, when we talk about the men that aren't being counted, they're doing worse. But this whole issue of black men and parity mm-hmm. seems to be a bit of a myth. So, so, so the question I wanted to pose to you mm-hmm. is if black men are doing better 
in 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 in, in relation to black women, mm-hmm. right? What what is the true issue in terms of coupling around money? Because we, we see this all the time in Kev's show. People are coming in, they're asking for high value men, so on and so forth. There's not enough men on my level. But according to the data, mm-hmm. there are actually a significant number of men on their level. Right. So if that's the case, what is what is the real disparity? What is the real reason that we can begin to look at for this split? between black men and women uh one uh is that the government has been putting a floor under women so uh uh if you if the when i calculated the median earnings of a of a black male really is right around twenty six thousand dollars right but yeah. if but if you but the, if if a woman gets section eight she gets uh welfare she gets food stamps she gets you know she gets uh yes uh, that kind of stuff, yeah. housing, uh, housing, uh, housing uh, kind of stuff. If, if if you if you add all that stuff up, then uh, even a woman without a job can basically live a lifestyle of of somebody that earns uh, a median wage, which is about thirty thousand dollars, thirty to thirty five thousand dollars. We add all their benefits up. Now, see, now you're hitting on something. Mm-hmm. A couple of years ago, there was this. You know, there's all these trends that go around social media. But mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, there was this trend of women putting up these handwritten lists that are saying, and I think the trend was, don't send me a what you doing text late at night if you can't pay these bills. And what was revealing about it is there were all of these these women that were posting these handwritten lists that were saying, you know, utilities paid for by the state, you know, uh, food stamps, um, mm-hmm. you know, rent, you know, reductions from the state. And there was this list that you would see. And, you know, it'd be a cell phone bill or whatever. And she'd say, if you can't pay this, don't call. But what I found interesting about those lists, every one of them that I saw and I began to look at, for a man to have the same things that many of those women had without state support, it's just like what you said a moment ago. He had to actually make that money, but mm-hmm. he, he would often have less uh, uh, disposable income than mm-hmm. she would um, and and yet be making more than her. And she could say he's mm-hmm. not making enough. Yeah. Years ago, I had a similar kind of experience when I first started, I really first started, I'd say a year and a half after I started teaching uh, full time Mm -hmm. before I got tenure, I was dating a woman that I was making twice her income. And she told me I wasn't making enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not kicking down doors to keep anybody around that don't want to be around. So I was like, okay, do your thing. But I just found it interesting that you can have a scenario where a woman makes half what you make and still tell you, you don't make enough for her, for her lifestyle, for for the lifestyle that she thinks that she wants to, to lead. Exactly. Yeah. Now you used to, um, you used to uh, say in your classes, when you, when when you talk to women, what do they expect out of their, what kind of lifestyle do you expect to lead? They always include their husband's income. That's either equal or greater Mm -hmm. and more likely greater, more likely greater. But at the same time, um, you know, as one woman stated to me years ago, yeah, his income is our income. My income is my income. So there's an interesting disparity, even in terms of how the money is spent, how it's even thought about and mm-hmm. whose responsibilities, you know, go where. Yeah. So it's an interesting kind of split in terms of what men are expected to do. I'm trying to. Yeah. 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 It, it, what, what I really wanted to highlight on the BLS is, is that. Um, uh, bl- black women 
and and you know, and sometimes even the the general population think there's all these high value, uh, high earning black men falling out of the sky, mm-hmm. and they're not. And the thing is, we don't understand how precious few there actually are. Okay, we talked about uh, we talked about uh, a subset of, 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 of middle class or or, or median wage. Work. If you talk about just the median wage, we talk about subset of maybe five million black men that uh, that make that in and greater right. out of out of six uh, sixteen or seventeen million. What happens to the other twelve million uh, black men? Mm-hmm. How do we equate for them? Right. Right. And, and if your only measure of worth is actual just hard income over 100,000 right. a year, right. then how many men are being dismissed and ignored over really, you know, I don't want to say artificial, but arbitrary standards when in actuality, uh, the man standing in front of you might be the best thing for you and on a number of levels. And I think these charts are highlighting the men standing in front of the women we're talking about. But just like in my classrooms where I ask the question to my students, I say, well, you know, I asked the, the, the women, how many men have you dated that had a list of requirements? I have not yet had a woman raise her hand to say I've had a man uh, have a, a list of requirements that I needed to meet to be worthy of dating him. Not once. Mm-hmm. But when I asked the men, of course, I haven't had a man yet that didn't have a female, uh, you know, give him a list of requirements. And, you know, again, I've said this before, when I ask the men what the requirements include, they always include six figures as a base standard. And this even applies to 17, 18 year old girls sitting next to 17, 18 year old men in class that they should be dating. Yeah. But the the women are still making six figure requirements of 17 year old college students. It makes no sense. Yeah, it's unrealistic, and that's the that's the problem. Uh, I think that's what B Simone was saying. Okay, a lot, especially now where the rubber meets the road, and there's no there's no cushion underneath black women anymore. You have to start getting realistic. Mm-hmm. You start have to uh, back in the day uh, before the 1980s, or even you know before the 1970s, black women were realistic about their men. Okay, you would have a woman that was educated. It would get with a with a with a common worker because he could actually he actually earn money. Mm-hmm. Okay, he actually earned money. He could actually earn with his hands. He wasn't educated, but the thing is, he could work 12, 13 hours a day. He could bring in money to help the family. Whereas she she had education, but she didn't earn as much. Okay, now you have the reverse to think that your education and your status is more important than. The realities on the ground. So, in other words, you say uh, you take a woman that has a master's; she can't, you know, making thirty thousand dollars or forty thousand dollars, she can't get with a trucker that makes a hundred thousand dollars because she thinks that he's beneath her. Mm. Mm. Or a plumber, or an electrician, or whatever else, even though he he's actually meeting her standard. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Be Simone. <laughs> Be Simone uh, had a wake up call. And I and I put out a video uh, at, right after she said it is that the B Simone uh, didn't qualify for the men that she wanted, okay? <laughs> uh, because she's in an industry, she's surrounded by all those men. I, the first thing I always say is that uh, uh, ask a woman if she's surrounded by all these men, how come she wasn't picked? And the reason that you aren't picked, one doesn't pick you, then that means you don't qualify. 
And I think the she's, you know, a year later, a year and a half later, she's realizing that she didn't qualify for the men that she uh, that she wanted. And she has to find a man that she qualifies for. She got to find a man real that is really on her level. Right. OK. Really, that's really on her level or there's a man that she can work with, because you got to remember that it's, it's called supply and demand. OK, just right. because you want it doesn't mean it's out there. If Just because you want a high value man, you, you were talking about we talk about less less than a million guys. We're probably talking about a subset of like eight hundred thousand guys. Okay, yeah. that, ev- that everybody, not just black women, everybody's competing for the same that same guy. Right. Okay, and you and you think that you can just because you have uh, uh, uh you have a, a slightly cute face, you're slightly overweight, and you're you're, you're mid thirties, you got uh, uh, two kids by two different uh, fathers, that you can actually walk in and snag one of these guys that are that are maybe um, 6% or 5% of the black population. Right. Okay. And it's a basic, it's a basic, uh, economics principle that for some reason we seem to, to miss value is determined based on rarity. Yes. So if something is in, in, in ample supply, it's not, the price doesn't generally go up for something like that, unless you got some delusion going on. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you're trying to sell, you know, a, a, a you know, a, a car that's, commonly found in the market and you want to mark it up 400%, you're just going to be sitting there holding that car for quite a while. It, the value is determined based on scarcity, based scarcity. on, you know, how hard it is to find. And if black men, you know, who are in that degree, who make that amount are scarce, then mm-hmm. should not their value go up? Should they be able to determine more from the market based on where they stand? You know, but the question being posed is many of these women don't even imagine that these black men want anything, let alone merit anything uh, that they just, you know, well, well, every, well that's 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 in their minds. But the thing is, at the end of the day, is, is uh, as my coach used to tell me in basketball, it's scoreboard it doesn't matter. OK, at the end of the day, what's on that scoreboard is all that matters. Right. At the end of the day, black women are the least married and the most divorced. OK, the least coupled. Damn. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what you feel that you deserve is, you know, uh, uh, I, I remember when I first started trading stocks and commodities, there was a guy. I can't remember his name. Uh, he, he he became a he became rich. Uh, as a taxi uh, as a taxi cab driver right and investing in stocks right mm-hmm. he said what can he said well all that matters to him what can i get by next thursday wow it doesn't matter how fancy the name of the stock was or or uh, what, what 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 the story was behind it at the end of the day w- w- if i sold my stock what can i get Okay, that that determines the value of my portfolio. Okay, same thing with women. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. Okay, at the end of the day, if you sold off your portfolio, what can you get? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and the the government and social media has put off uh, uh, their reality of what they what what they're actually worth. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that's like when they go up on, you know, on, on Kevin Samuel's show, they get shot down because he's going to buy what can that man get out of you by next Thursday? What well, is your portfolio actually worth? Absolutely. And one of the things we also see is the shaming of men for wanting looks or for wanting sex. But the reality is that's 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 no less arbitrary than deciding that you're only going to date men that make 100,000 more. It, 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 it's, it, you know, there's no moral high ground that I'm hearing people 
uh, who are shaming men for what they want. They're not on, they're not on a moral high ground. Cause if you're going to tell me that a black man is not worth your time, unless he makes more than $75,000 a year. Okay. And you're upset that he wants a woman that looks a certain way. I, to me, I'm looking at you like, you know, as well. Really- if he's not okay, my my question is: if a black if a black man's not uh, worth your time, he's not making more seventy five thousand dollars a year. Okay, in your last two years, uh, how many of those guys have you gotten? Well, and that's and that that's definitely a crucial question. But yeah. it, it, but even when I find because then you know you inevitably have people say, well, we need to move past the superficial. We need to move past money. We need to move past how people look. And I'm like, okay, that's fine with me. But my question is, how many women are willing to say, you know what, I don't care what he makes. I want to know about the quality of his character. How often do you hear that? I mean, occasionally, but then you all you you have to you, woman's you life hear it. it you, exactly. You, you exactly. hear it. They'll yes. say it, but they don't practice it. There you go. That's then that's the problem. Saying. It's not what it's not what they say. Do they practice it? No. Yes. Okay. If, if if that was the case, why are you on Kevin Samuel's show talking about high value men? There you go. It makes six figures or better. Well, and let's let's see what we're looking at here. So table seven, mm-hmm. usual weekly earnings, um, full-time wage and salary workers, annual mm-hmm. averages, right? And we're looking at the, the number of workers. Of course, there's that same, you know, uh, drop-off, you know, in the numbers um, mm-hmm. in terms of how many, six, 700,000, 800,000. We're seeing the drop-off of, mm-hmm. of workers. Uh, what are we seeing in terms of income? 2020. Hmm. Like, like I said, the, the income goes up, but the number of work, number of people go down. And it's always got to yeah, focus right. on the number of workers, a subset of workers that we're talking about. Right. Right. It's all that's, that's always important because uh, I, like you said, it's, it's about rarity. How yeah. many, how, how many people are we talking about? And now it's, it, well, it's, it, and so both things are happening at the same time. You got 6.7 million uh, black male workers, 7.3 million black female workers, mm. but you know, 830 in terms mm-hmm. of current dollars and versus 764. So there are fewer, but it's not so dramatically fewer. No, no. That, and, that, and, and, and we, number one, there, there's fewer because there are also fewer men to begin with. There's two million less men. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that's that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's not, but like I said, it's not dramatic. Right. Because well, because because what we've been told since the 1980s, mm-hmm. you know, what, what's the catchphrase you heard most? There aren't any men, yeah, out here, right? Right? There aren't any men out here, and that is the crux of why I wanted to go over the BLS data, and I wanted to have you come on. Is it, it really this this off the cuff? There aren't any men out here that can offer parity narrative that some people sincerely believe. Yeah, and and it's always on my level, okay? on, my level. Yes. on my level, which is not true. Yeah, the the thing is, they're they're not marrying you because they're not because uh they're not any men on your level. They're not any men on the level that want you. Yeah. Well, well, they're there. They're 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 there, and and, and like like uh they like I said, there's eight hundred thousand more marriages by black men, even though there's fewer of them than than uh, than black women. Like I said, there's almost a million more black men married, even though there's two million less black men. Mm-hmm. So now they're marrying somebody. They're marrying somebody, and they're mostly marrying like over eighty percent marrying black women. Eighty-five, um, yeah. It, but you know, but see, that's not even see again the the, the off the cuff narrative 
is that mm-hmm. as soon as black men make a certain amount, they're yeah. gone. Well, yeah. not according to the data. Well, according to the data, uh, black men that are that are upper class or middle to upper class married uh, black, you know, black women in the same percentage that lower class men do. It's not that big a difference. There we go. This is this is the uh, the last section of this uh, I wanted to go through tonight. Uh, quartiles and select deciles uh, of usual weekly earnings. Before, unless there was another part you wanted to look at. Was there anything no. we missed that you wanted to go no. through? Okay. No. Um, so uh, what are we seeing here? Uh, um, workers, we're seeing a breakdown by age. I'll move it, I'll move it up a little bit. If you, is that, can you guys see that clearly? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, what do we, how would you characterize what we're seeing? Um. What well, what well, naturally is uh is as you as as you get down as far as it, it degrees and advanced degrees, well, the number is going to drop, but that's mm-hmm. but that's to be expected, right? And and as should be expected, uh, the, the higher earners should be the people that put in the most work, which is bachelors or higher. So advanced degrees do make the most money. So if you're talking about that six figure guys, uh, six figure guy that that the high value man that that Kevin talks about more than likely they're going to have a, a, an advanced degree and they're going to work in a particular areas and they're going to make the most money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, that's standard, but that's for all Americans. So that's right. not a, so them, uh, them being black doesn't have a lot to do with it. Well, so if we look at bachelor's degree or higher, mm-hmm. right. Um, and we look at the same category for black women, definitely mm-hmm. a difference in number. Yeah. Right. So we can definitely see the impact of that graduate degree or advanced degree. Um, we definitely saw this. And this is another chart I've, I, I pretty much do every year mm-hmm. where you can see the, the number of degrees um, between uh, white and black uh, men and women. And one of the things we find is that black men have, you know, from 1976 to now, half the degrees of black women. Mm-hmm. Um, so that said, right, we can see that that impact plays out in terms of you know, the job market in regard to degree and income. So uh, it's there. It is what it is. And yet, you know, I'll be honest, when I looked at at some of the numbers, it was not what I expected. Uh, Bachelor's degree or higher, uh, 1.9 million, you know, Mm -hmm. versus 2.8. So the question really comes down to, you know, I think you were alluding to this earlier. If your standard is limited to those with college degrees, then you might have a problem. But as we've right. seen throughout the entire, you know, uh, uh, report, the income issue is really not what's at what's on the table. Right. It's really not the income issue. It, it, that's what it's sold as, but that's not really what the problem is. Yeah. I think the problem has to do a lot more with, with uh, unrealistic expectations or expectations that are not tied to the reality of black male life or black life. Excuse me. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there, there's gonna there's when you get it when you get into the upper classes and when you actually put in all you know we get outside of earnings and you put it put everything in totality then yeah there's gonna be less of them. Mm-hmm. In other words, high value men are gonna be rarer and you're gonna you're gonna hell you're gonna have to compete for them. Or or change the definition of what you value in terms and I'm not talking about changing the definition of high value, but changing the definition of how a given person defines value in the people they want to associate with. Mm-hmm. And, and if you open that definition up, you might find that there are a variety of different ways that that can actually work 
uh, beyond just this notion of six-figure men being the only standard. Um, there are a lot of ways that that can be reached. And I'm, that's why I'm saying throughout the majority of the report, um, we're seeing a lot more parity than not. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not as stark as, as black women want to make it out to be. Um, and it's also uh, apparent that when, like I said, when, when black, when black men do break out of the, you know, break out of the, out of the, the, the ceiling of the, the iron dome um, that they're in, then they actually do earn more. Okay. So they, like I said, uh, 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 women, all women, but especially black women are in this big middle. Mm-hmm. So at the bottom and at the top, you're going to have to find more men at the bottom and at the top. So men at the t- so men that are in the top in the top category are going to out uh, earn black women by I think it look like a third. Mm-hmm. Let me get yeah. to advanced degrees. And I think twenty four tribes uh, really just kind of uh, said it. What what do we notice in terms of uh, income in regard, uh, or should I say, despite degree achievement? What mm-hmm. what what do we see? What's the pattern that we're seeing? You know, because again, there aren't many black men; they're not making much. Yet we're seeing something a little interesting. Yeah, yeah, they, they they make more. I mean, when 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 dollar for dollar, category for category, black men do make more, in spite of all the uh, uh, restrictions and and roadblocks that are in front of them. They don't get as they don't get as much help. They don't get as much aid. They don't get as much you know uh, training. But in spite of all that, they still make more. Well, that that can't be true, BGS. It just let me see. So if we start here, that's that's for a bachelor's degree or higher, it's five ninety, and bachelor's degree or higher for what? Right, five eighty one. Interesting. Okay, well that was just that one time. Hold on, let me. I, I must have made a mistake somewhere. Let me let me get back. So um, let, let's try again. So uh, at the next, I want to keep the deciles in here. All right, so. Um, cause I know you're wrong. You just have to be wrong. So if we just arbitrarily take 848, I'm just going to stick with bachelor's degree. I can, I can use another one if you want, but <laughs> 848, 779. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't understand why well, you, you, you're still wrong. I'm not going to hold on this. Okay. So we're going to say for third quartile, you know, 1882 and 16, wait a minute. Uh, well, maybe that was my mistake. It was, it, it Okay, let's just do ninth decile. It's twenty six seventy nine, and well, BTS. This doesn't make sense. I mean, it, 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 the data says that black men earn earn. You know, even with all the roadblocks, black men earn about ten to fifteen percent more in every category, even in the lower categories. Now, I have heard songs, rap and R and B songs. I have seen movies and television shows that have told me since the 1980s that, you know, that basically, you know, this ain't shit. we ain't nothing. We, yeah. we, we, we don't make nothing. We don't bring anything to the table. We, 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 we don't have anything. Tell me, what are we seeing? Right? Uh, well, the thing is, like I said, at the end of the day, the numbers don't lie. Hmm. The numbers don't lie. The numbers are the numbers, and this is the scoreboard. And the, these are these are the white, you know, the white man's numbers. Okay, this is not the black man's numbers, the black woman's numbers. These are these are the numbers. Okay. Well, oh, we got a backlog. So, Mark Trouble Man, appreciate the support. Um, there's some other. There's a there's a couple other charts 
that I wanted mm-hmm. to share. And, and, again, and I think you might want to weigh in on as well. Um, so it, it, now taking into account what we've just covered mm-hmm. uh, and, and shout out to uh, Dr. Tommy Curry, he gave an excellent uh, presentation. I think it was a uh, Ferris state yesterday mm-hmm. on YouTube. I think you can find it if you're interested in it. Uh, very interesting. And he, he put up some charts that I had seen before, but I hadn't, I wasn't thinking about, and he reminded me, you know what, I need to bring them up and remind people about this data too. So shout out to Dr. Curry. Um, but let's see. Um, so this is the first one, mm-hmm. incarceration and race. Uh, the way this breaks down here, and I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can blow it up uh, full screen. Uh, okay. Uh, I apologize if you can't see it any better than that. But basically, this is uh, incarceration and race, U.S. imprisonment rate per 100,000 by age, mm-hmm. race, and sex. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I know it's, it might be hard for some of you guys to see, but the very tall blue line from mm-hmm. age 18 to 65 is uh, are black males. Mm-hmm. Right? So what we see in terms of incarceration and race is what, you know, we, we already, we, we, we know, but you still need to see it this way to comprehend just how much black males are navigating. So this is, this is just one chart that really highlights the incarceration rates that black men endure and have endured, right? This was made in mm-hmm. 2014. The numbers have gone down, but a lot of these men are, are dealing with ankle brace, bracelets and whatnot at this point, but it's still nonetheless there. Um, the next one, this came out of Raj Chetty's work uh, where he was talking about, uh, you know, uh, those born into uh, relative stability mm-hmm. um, and who are more likely to fall out of their class component. So the top category, uh, that you see in the green are rich mm-hmm. adults just below that are up, upper middle class adults mm-hmm. uh, below that are middle class below that lower middle and below that poor. And you see black men, right. Who are, are more apt in terms right. of, of, of capacity uh, for falling out uh, and, and, you know, of their class status. So this is what we're, we're dealing mm-hmm. with in terms yeah. of the reality of black male life. Which is something, which is something that Monaghan said back in 1965 and is a, uh, in his uh, 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 the Negro Family Report, he said uh, uh, bl- black men uh, escape um, uh, their poverty or escape their, their their poverty for one generation only. So um, they said uh, black men always have the always have the uh, uh, have the, the the fear of, of of dropping back below their class. So even if you're born rich and you're black, that doesn't necessarily mean you're guaranteed to stay there. Absolutely. It's it's very easy for you to drop down in class, even down to the bottom. Absolutely. And that's what Mm -hmm. we're seeing. Mm -hmm. That's what we're seeing. Um, Let me see. The next one is also by Chetty. Uh, Large income gaps persist between men, uh, but not women. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're highlighting you. So on the left, you can see uh, white uh, men and black men and the differences between them. In terms of average individual income, that's that's why I, that's why I come. Uh, uh, black women always compare themselves up against black uh, white men and never black men. Mm-hmm. You never hear them compare their their, their earnings or their the, the wealth gap uh, between men. themselves and black men. Yeah, because they're almost they're almost at par. Uh, black men a little bit ahead, but uh, for the most part, they're pretty close. It, well, and most particularly, they're pretty close to white women. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we can see on the right, the average income rank. Uh, it, it, of, even 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 if the BLS says white women earn more, 
than black men or 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 or, or uh, uh, black women on average. The medium the medium uh, earnings for white women are, are like maybe ten to fifteen percent more than black men. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then and then and the last chart I was just going to bring up um, is a very interesting one. Right, lifetime risk of being killed by police. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see the the uh, I guess it's kind of orange uh, is uh, for female. The blue is for male. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of see the breakdown. Um, I know you, the, the screenshot I took is from Dr. Curry's lecture. I was in a hurry. Okay. So you can barely see the blue line uh, at the very top, which actually is is for black men, uh, which is much longer uh, than every other group. Right. So the, the, the reason I'm pointing these out is I'm saying that basically what mm-hmm. we have happening is that black men, uh, according to the latest data, are really, you know, in despite the pandemic, in fact, mm-hmm. are really doing better than we thought in regard to stereotype. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and better in comparison to black women who have claimed for decades now that black men bring nothing to the table and can't offer parity, despite all of the things I just showed in the last four charts. Mm-hmm. Right? Despite the capacity or the 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 degree to which they can fall out of their class status, despite uh, the incarceration rates, despite right. parity or, or lack of parity with yeah. black men versus black women and white women, despite all of these different measures, yeah. what we yeah. see, saw through the majority of the report is yeah. that black men actually had more capacity than they're given credit for. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is this is with all, which is with a, a, a poor education, uh, obvious racism, um, uh, obvious uh, c- competition for you know uh, the equal opportunity that they fought for that they don't get for the most part. Um, even amongst their women, the competition with their women, you know, we, you know, because uh, black women compete <laughs> with their own men, you know, continue, you know, I was just looking at uh, a, a, a girl that uh, it, uh, was the first black female Eagle Scout. Right. Oh, and, I did uh, see that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one thing she said, she said her, her brother who's also an Eagle Scout. She said, yeah, but I got more medals than he did. Okay. Wow. So, so they still compete. Yeah. Well, I, I, look, I really want to thank you for coming up today. Cause like I said, you did a thorough breakdown just the other day. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate you, you know, being willing to do it again, <clears throat> do it again. So thank you, man, uh, for coming on up um, tonight. I'm not, we're not going to have an office hours tonight. Um, I got to, I actually have to give a lecture um, as soon as we get off, believe it or not. So um, we're not going to have office hours tonight. And as usual, I want to thank BGS for coming up. Um, and uh, let me see. I'm going to, uh, I'm sorry. Well, before I do, any any last comment you want to make there? I, I want to say is that, you know, um, we're going to have to stop just taking uh, stats at face value. Okay. Especially when it comes to us. And we're going to have to start actually reading these documents and actually uh, digging into the truth and actually saying, you know, whether it's good or bad or indifferent, we're going to have to actually start saying, you know, what it is. I was, you know, like I said, I was actually looking at the uh, black demographics and they they quote the 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 median income for a black man at 42,000. But they don't, you know, right underneath it, they they, they don't even highlight it. But like I said 41 percent of black men didn't have any recorded earnings. Nobody talks about that. That should have been the highlight, mm-hmm. not the average. I know we want to, you know, we want to pop. You know, puff out our chest and we want to feel proud about ourselves. But we also got to be real. 
it's one thing about men. We have to be real and honest about uh, what's going on and, and, our, and our plight. Because if we think that we're doing okay, we're doing fine, then with the, a lot of problems that black men and boys have, we won't fix. We'll be unresolved. Be right. unresolved. We, but you that, know, but yeah. even that but, 41% is complicated because there are yes. factors that are not included in the report. And I'm right. not saying that to suggest that, you know, everybody is balling across the board, even if it's under yeah. the table. But I yeah. am saying that there's a, there's a complicated narrative to black men right. that can't just be swept under the floor. It right. has to be drawn out. And it does actually suggest that that complication, if we have the nuance to perceive it, um, you know, it brings with it uh, a, 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 an opportunity for us to understand what black men are about uh, and what we can bring. And, you know, so because like I said, it doesn't necessarily mean unemployed because sitting no. at home playing Madden. I think that's no. the assumption that people make. Well, no. Know. No, 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 there's a no. lot more brought to the table. And I'm not saying that there aren't plenty of impoverished black men. I'm not saying that there are. Yeah. But what we're finding, according to the data, is that the, the narrative is much more complicated than that. Right. And there are there are areas where black men are actually doing better. Yeah, uh, as well. So yeah. we're doing and better it, and what, worse at the same time. What it, what it proves is, if, you know, it, something we've always said, if you give black men and black boys and black men a chance, they do better. It is. They do a lot better. There it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's so, what the numbers um, prove. So, you know, like I said, even when it comes to people that are like yourself, that that lucky are lucky enough to, you know, navigate and get a PhD, which is, you know, I always uh, I'm blessed when I see a black male PhD because you guys aren't supposed to be there. Um, and uh, that when you do when you do break out and you do get a, a, a PhD, you guys actually excel. Well, and I think that's what they're afraid of. Well, um, much appreciation. Uh, for coming up on, uh, Officer Charles says I'm playing Madden now. <laughs> <laughs> Holy Charles, man! <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> all right, so I'm gonna take you down, BGS. Uh, all right, you, brother. Let me see. All right, so um, we're gonna close out here. Like I said, we're not doing an office hours tonight. We will be back on board next week, as far as that's concerned. Um, and you guys uh, know how I like to do. Brothers, be reminded that we are not criminals by birth, perennial rapists, incapable intellects, man-children, sperm donors, child support wellsprings, success objects, walking phalluses, ATM machines, lottery tickets, brainless henchmen, valueless assassins, pro bono mercenaries, unpaid bodyguards, interchangeable stepfathers, child discipline proxies, unpaid repairmen, workhorses, emotional tampons, or any other socially accepted dehumanizing stereotypes. We are thinkers, innovators, inventors, leaders, fathers, warriors, and men. Embrace your humanity, know your worth, and extend your time, attention, and resources only to those who genuinely respect you. And remember, your worth is not defined by meeting other people's narcissistic, selfish, and unrealistic needs. You define your worth. All right? Peace.